Today is March 2nd, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, we have a lot of topics. So uh, we talk about a dude going on a hunger strike because of policies in his city that won't let him evict people, and he's uh, um, losing his business because of it. We talk about what is good. So did Jesus, right? Remember that guy? He's like, what is good, teacher? Well, we talk about what is good. What does good mean? Um, spoiler, Jesus says it better himself. Anyway, um, then we have an atheist who uh, puts on the Christian mantle and defends Christianity against a uh, <laughs> heretic. <laughs> um, then uh, we have guest Bob the Builder who is building a path for people to travel to hell. So that's not good. Um, start, starts out a little humorous, ends pretty sad um, and, and revealing. So this, this is... Um, I guess a wake-up call that, yes, while we often drift into different conversations and, uh, you know, we definitely try to share the gospel a lot, there are times where it's like, wow, this kind of hit home and there's a reason we actually want to do this. There is a good reason why we want to share what we believe and why we believe it and how people can have eternal life and faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Because, good Lord, you're going to see what some people actually believe and the ramifications of that. So, uh, yes, we, we have fun, we joke, we keep it lighthearted and simple and civil, but there is a very real reason, um, you know, myself and the other Christians uh, want to do this stuff because uh, we believe it matters. Anyway, um, back to happy notes. Some young man wants to know what they should be looking for in a Christian wife, and uh, then we talk about the Jesus Revelation movie that just came out, and uh, then we talk about grave soaking. If anyone wanted to know what that's about, stay tuned. Um, then our words, violence. Um, you know, the old sticks and stones things. So um, are our words literally violence? Um, I, I say that as a quote. I, of course, do not take that stance. But many of the people do will use literally, literally wrong. Bugs me. Pet peeve. Am I judging? I don't know. I could be judgy. We also talk about that. What is right judgment? The Bible talks about, you know, people say, don't judge me, bro. The Bible says, don't judge me. Uh, That's one of the most taken out of context things. As Christians, we're totally supposed to judge, but judge rightly. How do we know what that means? Crack open the Bible. We'll show you where. Um, Anyway, so we talk about that a little bit. And um, yes, so uh, to get more insight into the Ask a Christian community and the purpose Uh, the original purpose and the maintaining purpose of it, you can find the Ask a Christian book, a religious discussion, available on Amazon. And if you want to help be a part of this community and join the conversation, grab some stuff, grab a t-shirt or hat or something um, from the Ask a Christian store. You can find the link in the podcast or video description, and uh, you will definitely get some stuff that will incur uh, questions about your faith and why you believe it. So take care. Have an awesome Thursday. Um, In case you wondered about my plumbing issues, I finally broke down and I hired a professional plumber, paid an arm and a leg. I mean, it would have been easier to probably just chop off and just hand the guy my arm. Um, It was not cheap. And an hour later, I'm like, all right, well, that's done. (laughs) Let's celebrate. Yay. I get home. My wife's like, "Uh, go check the bathroom. I I crack open the cabinet counter. Big leak. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So uh, dude's supposed to come back today. I'll keep you updated on the saga that is Nate. (laughs) Bye. Did you guys see that uh, that landlord in San Francisco that's on a hunger strike? No. Or San yeah. Jose, I think. So I guess San, San Jose, right? Was it San Jose? I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the Jose. article I read this morning said San Francisco, but I maybe it's the second. Maybe close. it's the second one. Yeah, maybe it's the second one. Oh yeah, he's like well, this four. Chinese guy, and he's like, and he's like, because that because they have a a moratorium on evictions still from COVID, and so his wealthy renters were like, 
screw you guys, we're not paying rent because you can't evict us. And so he's got one renter that owes him a hundred and twenty grand in back rent. Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm not saying he should infest that, that place that? with termites, but could you tell that again, Chris? I was talking to Chad real quick. So, I heard the end. So basically this this landlord somewhere, San Jose, San Francisco, there's a eviction moratorium and his wealthy residents in his very nice apartment building um, have refused to pay because they can't be evicted. And so they're gaming the system and he's not eligible because the rent is $3,000 a month. He's not eligible for assistance for landlords in the city. And so he's just out of pocket, a hundred and twenty grand. Yeah, I have uh, I have a million stories like that because the eviction moratorium in New York only just lifted after over two years, and it was horrific. Uh, I saw some stuff. I'm still seeing some stuff. I'm not surprised by that at all. I have people in like uh, affordable housing who owe tens of thousands of dollars. It's pretty bad. And you know what they do then? Then when you finally get them through when the ERAP runs out and then you finally get them through court, they do the same thing every time they smear poop on the walls and they leave. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I could PTR some pictures. You please, 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 please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. No yeah. thanks. No thank you. But yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, if your depravity. rent is over what they would consider like a stabilized rent, then yeah, they'll expect the landlord to come out of pocket. I had one guy who had 300 units and only 80 were paying. And uh, he lost his personal house. He lost his truck. He lost, like, they, yeah, he lost everything. And he did, like, all affordable housing. So all of his buildings went condemned. So this policy that was supposed to help the lower class or whatever uh, just made, like, 300 people homeless because they were encouraged to not pay. So worked out great. These moratoriums. I'll get off my soapbox, but it's super bad. Yay, leftism. Well, the hunger strike actually sounds like a good move, then, because he's bringing awareness to the issue. So I think that was... Wait, where does the right? hunger strike come in? Oh, yeah. So, the, oh, so, so this landlord, so he's like... He's out of Chinese Oakland. Dude. He's like... Oh, is it yeah, Oakland? It was actually, okay. It's Oakland, so we were, I was wrong, too. So there's, there's a there was a different guy doing building codes in San Jose on hunger strike. This is a landlord in Oakland, which is right next to San Francisco. Like, they're like, like buddy-buddy. Yeah. And so he's like on, he's like this Chinese guy, he's an immigrant and like, you know, he's, he's worked his whole life to buy these units and then set, rent, sent, rent them out. And now he's, his whole life savings is gone. His family is going without food, like all this stuff. And so he's, he's uh, going on a hunger strike because the city is just not going to do anything about it. No, no, he doesn't need to do all that. He needs to call me. You know what? Okay. Listen, do you know what you do in this practice? <laughs> He does what? not need to go on a hunger strike. Is that your he needs to go... answer for everything? He needs to call me. Yeah, no, this is actually what I do for a living. All right, here was what he needs to do. He needs to go down in the basement real quiet some now. night. Yeah, he needs to go and uh, snip the plumbing. He needs to go down and carefully remove some of the copper plumbing. Then when the city asks him about it, he says, I think the land, I think the tenants took it and pawned it. I don't know. They, they took out the copper plumbing. It's gone. And then when the tenants start complaining that they have no water, the city will come slap a condemnation on the building. The tenants need to vacate within 48 hours because, see, the landlord can't evict under an eviction moratorium, but the government can. So then the building will get a condemnation. Those tenants will be out in 48 hours. He goes and puts the plumbing back and says, oh, ho, look at that. They lift the condemnation and he's free and clear. 
the hunger strike does not, I, you know, that's how you so do it. So the official wait. position of Ask a Christian so, so. is don't, don't, uh, so the official position of Ask a Christian is uh, don't tell lies and uh, don't sabotage people's way of life. That being said, go Steph. Oh, wait, Steph, one more thing you have to do, though. Change the locks well, before you, you uh, do the Yeah. Because then they can come back and squat. So then you have to remove the plumbing again. I mean, this is this is like a thing. If that doesn't work, then you snip the main, the electric main, so the utility company has to come and fix it, and that takes time, so they'll leave. Like, there's there's other ways to do this. Get the guy a cheeseburger and some good real estate advice. <laughs> uh, he's from San Francisco. He's probably vegan. So maybe Nate. Ah. Hey, hey. Get the guy a veggie burger and some some soldering tools. You know, there was a huge story um, on, uh, well, Facebook, but there, there was this huge controversy. Like people were, um, it was it was on some conservative site, and then a couple of us weird, um, you know, conservative vegan unicorns. Um, so I was chiming in, and it was like a logical point, right? Because I don't, I'm not like you know preaching about it. Hey, it should be veganism, blah blah blah, whatever. Um, I, I do my thing, you do yours. Anyway, but the story was about this guy on like Korean Airlines or something, and it was time for, uh, he asked for like a, it was time for like a meal or something. And, uh, or he wanted a snack and they gave him a banana. And I guess he was offended. But the larger point I was responding to was uh, people were talking about how can you make vegan food on airplanes, blah, blah, blah. And I just made an instant comment. I'm like, dude, if you have ways to like cook steak and fish and all this other stuff, like throw a handful of mushrooms, uh, you know, in an oven and cook it or fry it or whatever. Like that's it. Like it's easy, right? It's not, it's not hard. That was my only point is, the, the same metric in which you cook all the other stuff that needs to be cooked hot, just do that. It's easy. And uh, then everyone's like, then everyone's like, oh, they don't have stoves on planes, blah blah blah. I'm like, they have something to do that. So I had to Google it. Apparently, they have convection they have convection ovens. So I'm like, okay, my point still stands. Like, if you're gonna cook freaking like meat and fish and stuff, then you know, throw a handful of mushrooms on. Problem so, solved. And so then they, they're like, they're like, get, hey, hang on, almost done. They're like, get out of here with the nonsense, you liberal, you liberal. I'm like, wow, bro, that turned quick. I'm like, I, oh, like you would never call me that. Like it's, it's crazy. Like I can't believe that, uh, you know, people are so feisty just if you like have one little disagreement on a logical point. They're like, oh, you liberal. I'm like, oh, that's something I've never been called before. That's hilarious. So I was on a plane ahead, flying back from Bahrain, and the guy sitting next to me was uh, Muslim, and so. There, the flight sewer, the stewardess is coming through with the flight attendants coming through with all of the uh, food and hands out. And, she's, and he says, I had the special meal, uh, Muslim. I had the halal meal or the, you know, the Islamic version of kosher. And so she gives him a dish and he looks at it like, there's no meat in this. And she said to him, our, like our alternative meals are kosher, halal, and vegan. <laughs> we just cover everything with one meal. This totally fits it. Here you go. And he was really annoyed. But I'm like, that's a brilliant answer. It just covers all bases with one meal. It was just like pasta and a, like a light sauce. So I mean, it was totally fine, but it was uh, very, very amazing. So yes, you can do kosher meals that are vegan on plane. You know, I like that. And depending on what you're talking about, it's something everyone would eat, right? Because, you know, even, yeah. even people that are like, oh, I love my meat, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I can never eat that vegan trash. I'm like, well, you have a salad with your steak, right? They're like, oh, I love salad. I'm like, there you go. You're you're like halfway there. So, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, it's like, do you like peanuts? Oh, I love peanuts. How about sunflower seeds? Oh, I love them. I'm like, great. Those are all vegan. They're like, Who gets oh, that, I that like excited about salads and sunflower seeds, though, Nate, when you're comparing them to steak? Like, well, I'm, I'm, not... trying to, I'm trying to impart my New York energy because that's usually the people I'm talking to. 
Oh, I love not a your spinach New York salad. energy, like steady oh. New York energy. A baby spinach salad yeah, with oh, with craisins and walnuts and little balsamic vinegar. Oh, sounds like what a rabbit would eat. Yes, but it's still good. Yeah, Ram. Yes. Normally we have questions about uh, you know religion and Christianity. So if you have one, we're we're off on a tangent right now. But if you have something about I don't know God, I, ask I do have a chat. I do have a question. If he if, if like if, but we'll wait for him to come up. I'm not sure if he's on stage, but I do have a question. I came here to actually ask. Yes, do please it. do. Go ahead. Okay, so the in the other rooms, question was for atheists to define good and evil, and so I will define good. As that which brings me pleasure, happiness, and or joy. And that's how I'm defining good. And I make the contention that a lot of Christians and or Muslims do the same thing. And that's also their definition of good, just indirectly. So that's a statement. So I'm just going to lay that down and see if there's questions about it or just general agreement. So. Like I could answer, I could make it a question. Do you agree? Not trying to be sarcastic. I mean, I would, just... I mean I'd say generally I would agree, but a couple caveats would be, um, you know, ultimately, I mean, as long as it doesn't conflict with, you know, what God says, i.e. the Bible. So if what is good and brings me pleasure is, you know, a, a harem of sex workers. Um, you know, I mean, I may think that's good, but then I would say, well, that's that's not what God says good. So technically, that is that is bad. Um, and then I, I would say, ultimately, whatever is is good is what says, uh, you know, what brings glory and goodness to God, which is what He says. So I'd right. say, uh, generally, on a very superficial level, I can agree with you and be like, yes, sounds reasonable. Uh, with those two pretty well, big caveats, even with that big caveat, the reason that if God doesn't like it, like God doesn't want you to have a harem. It's because you'll be punished if you do it and you won't have longer term happiness. So the fact that you're doing what God wants so that you can end in heaven for eternity is kind of pleasure seeking on just a grander scale. But that's not the well, motivation. Well, there's kind of like this push okay. for a while of like Christian hedonism for a while. So, I mean, it kind of like sounds like what you're talking about. Yes. Bit. Well, yeah, because like you, Steph, you might, if God's, so let me just like give my counter to this stuff is that. If it was to God's glory that everyone burned forever in hell, would you worship God's? No, because that wouldn't be the God that I believe it. Like that would go against God's nature. If it was to God's good glory that he enjoyed everyone. or I mean, glory is one thing. That's a very complicated question. But if we say that it gave God pleasure, that he enjoyed the prospect of everyone burning in hell forever, then that would be a very different God by nature than the one we know to exist. Sure, but which way followed first? If that was what a book of religion taught, you'd say, I'm not going to believe in that. Or is it the fact that the book that, you're, that you were taught says, and you'll get eternal pleasure, and therefore it's very tempting to do it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, I <laughs> Rob, your, uh, your comparisons are hard because it's kind of like saying, would you still like women if they had penises? <laughs> That's exactly. Don't discriminate. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, I understand that, right? Like that's, but I would say yes in the sense that let me just go with like that's a good question, not yes to the answer, but is the 
I enjoy the having intercourse with women due to the sexual compatibility of our various genitalia to be as clinical as possible on a Christian stage. Um, I would be much less like pl polite in different stages, but that would be what I would say. So it's not that I find them necessarily unattractive. It's just that, no, I'm not attracted to them due to this difference of things that we're not going to get to enjoy together. So in that sense, yeah, that's kind of an important part. But I'm trying to figure out, though, is the message of God the good news? You'll live for eternity. I thought that was kind of the good news. Hey, Jesus died for your sins. You will get eternal bliss. Good news. No, that's more I thought that Islam. I mean, I get what you're saying, but that's not so. So it's almost like you get this side effect benefit of being able to be with God for eternity. Right. But that's a very shallow motivation. <clears throat> and I imagine people who are just motivated by that, by the prospect of eternal pleasure or whatever, uh, is is the one of the seeds that fall on rocky ground and doesn't grow or something. The thing that gives your faith longevity is the personal relationship you have with God. And so it's almost like the prospect of being with God forever is the best thing you can think of because you love the relationship. Does it make so, you happy? Not always, no. It's hey, like any but the, other the, But the long-term relationship with God doesn't bring you happiness in total? Well, I mean, the prospect of being married to my husband for 70 years brings me happiness and joy, right? But it's not always easy to be married. Like, the, do you see what oh, I'm agreed. saying? Like, it's oh, like no, any other I, relationship. Well, I'm not disagreeing with that, right? That's the ups and downs. Like, I was actually pointing out another example is, like, I, I a, in my definition, I'm not saying I can predict what is good because, or what is going to make me happy because I could be wrong. I'm going to say I could absolutely be fallible. I'll even say that an action can change over time. For example, if I have a large amount of cake and drink huge amounts of alcohol at the time I'm doing it, it's good. That night when I'm vomiting um, nonstop, it's totally not good. And then later when I'm laughing about it with my friends, it's good again. So it can actually go from good to bad to good just in one, one event. Or it, and it's just the same way as like marriage to a husband or a wife or, you know, to a relationship with God. The same the same one action can be good, bad, good. And overall, you'll say, yes, I'm happy I did it. And that would be the final point. So that was I'd say it's very similar. Uh, OK, but you're defining good by pleasure alone. Right. And so to joy, come back to pleasure, the happiness and joy, pleasure, happiness and joy. Sure. So like, okay, if you're in this mindset that you, let's use marriage as an example, you end a marriage when for X amount of time, it no longer brings you pleasure, happiness, and joy. This is bad, Yes. right? Because that's not what marriage is based on all the time. So it's a little different than having a party and eating cake. Like I, I don't do enough drinking to throw up, but you know, I haven't, I have done that and I know what you mean. Uh, I'm more likely to eat so much cheesecake that then I'm like disgusted with my, <laughs> I'm like nauseous that night. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. And then I do it again, like the next day. So I understand this cycle of, but that's not, we're not reaching into the depths of whether you eat a lot of cheesecake or not, isn't reaching into the depths of what joy is persevering with a partner through a marriage that lasts 50 years does reach into the depths of what joy is. So you're not sure. going to get that same, like, so when you're talking about the prospect of eternal pleasure, for your, for, you know, after you die, this is sort of to me akin to the cheesecake thing. It's like, yes, I, I like that idea. This sounds wonderful, but 
the true appeal to Christianity is the depth and beauty of the relationship, which is a whole other level of good. It's not always, it's not always pleasurable. If it were annihilation after death, would you still be Christian? Yes, because during my life, I'm so grateful and humbled that like there aren't enough words to explain the like the gratefulness I have for the relationship that I have with Christ. If it ended when I died, then that would be fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've, I'm blessed to have this relationship. Okay. I'm, I'm an annihilist, by the way, I believe in the annihilation as a Christian. Just get him, Chris. It's <laughs> okay. No, I'm not going to go after somebody who's an annihilationist. I mean, the, the thing about it is, like, there are, like, John Stott was an amazing theologian that Steph would like because he was not a Calvinist. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he became an annihilationist later on in life. It's a complex, difficult issue, and it depends on the terminology that you're is the terminology you cease to exist and do not have to hang out in hell forever? Yeah, yeah, that's my uh, that's my belief. I believe that life is a gift from God. It's not granted to everyone. Um, I, I believe that's why the the tree was guarded in in uh, Genesis. No longer had access to it, and then we see it appear again in Revelation. Um, so I, I feel like God doesn't immortalize sin just to, to keep it around for eternity to punish it. I believe that it's thoroughly dealt with. That's my, but only for humans, right? Because, you know, I mean, you would say like the, the devil and all that stuff, like he hangs out in hell forever. Cause I mean, yeah. it talks about eternal. So only right. for humans are tormenting day and night. Yeah, I do. I, I, I think for uh, humans, because, uh, the lake of fire would have to do something to hell in the ver in revelations that it's not doing to people. We have to make a, uh, like a weird distinction. Revelations 2010, it says the devil who, who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and the beast and the false prophet where they were tormented day and night forever. And then that you, then you see hell uh, is also thrown into the lake of fire. Is the lake of fire tormenting hell or is it destroying hell? It's like you have to make a weird jump between what hell is going to do to people and death and you know so i don't know where the division is made so i, I don't know nate but that's that's just my I, my position is i think we've misinterpreted the bible and jesus says don't fear the one that can destroy the body but dis destroy both body and soul and hell i believe that that's a thorough destruction and what's it mean to be destroyed if it's actually going to live on forever i don't know what jesus meant there you know so i just i think we've misinterpreted the, the bible that's just, you know, just in was, my opinion, but I'm I'm open to anything, though, man. This this is I'm not dogmatic on this. Hey, Steph, can I ask you a question? Yes. Did Jesus have a relationship with God? Hang on one second. Uh, I was sorry. Hang on. I was I was looking for something. Um, yeah, I was just talking about this the other day. Like, I I know someone brings up the revelation part, but then how do you how do you get around Matthew like twenty five forty one where it says. You know, uh, he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse, into the eternal fire. And then he's not talking about the devils and angels because then he says, prepared for the de devils and his angels. So he has to be talking about humans. And then he says eternal. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm no scholar, but I mean, eternal means kind of eternal. He said the yes, devil it, angels? Well, the no, he said it was prepared for the devil and his angels 
So there's a third party. Yep. So the third party he's talking to, not the devil and angels, are those on his left, like the people who you know would be like goats. Wait, sheep. can I answer? Wait a minute. That? How do you prepare something? How do you prepare something? Well, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Travis. Yeah. So I think uh, I think speaking. the biblical language is that the punishment is eternal, but that it's that it's a complete one because I think the book of Jude uses uh, the same kind of language where it talks about the smoke, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. Um, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Now, this is an eternal fire language, but no one would say Sodom and Gomorrah is still smoking and on fire today. You know, so I think the biblical language is eternal destruction that lasts forever. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put an air conditioner in hell. I believe the punishment is eternal, but is it eternal conscious torment? I don't think the Bible teaches that. I just don't see God yeah. giving the gift of eternal life to everyone. So I, I don't know. It's. Um, I mean, so so I'm going to completely disagree. That's cool. But yeah, again, I'm I think that, that. Yeah, I, I, but I think that this is a this is a very long and nuanced conversation um, that we would need to walk through for a couple of hours. Yeah. Well, you've got that or the question Bob's asking Steph. Choose, Chris. Choose this day. Which conversation you I choose around. violence. All right, Bob, what's up? Go ahead, Bob. Bob, go for hey, Steph. Uh, I'm talking. Steph, welcome to Christian Hell. I'm I'm talking to Steph. Oh, the answer is yes, Bob. Well, Nate doesn't agree with you. All right, Nate. Why doesn't Jesus have a relationship with God? You know... I agree with you. Bob likes misrepresenting people. I thought, Nate, I thought you thought Jesus is God. Steph, do you think Jesus is God? Yes, I think I know that Jesus is God. Yeah. See, Bob. So Mary didn't really have a baby, huh? Bob the Builder, you're building on a foundation of the devil's sand. I'm dead. Foundation. Now, Stephanie, don't run off. Steph, don't I'm not run running. off. I'm right here, buddy. Got to get in the shower. If, you, if you run off, they're going to kick me back down. I mean, you the one that brought me up. I did. Sorry, everyone. She'll learn. Early I mean, by Bob having a conversation with Rab Scuttle. Can we do that? Cast yeah. him down. Cast us both. I mean, you guys, the other day, I was in a room where there were two people on Clubhouse who both claimed to be the reincarnate Jesus Christ, and I was trying so hard to get the mods to like get them to debate a topic because they were both on the stage, and it just never came to be. It was very disappointing. Yeah, I can answer Bob's questions. I can do it like you know, totally. Uh, thing. So, Bob, what do you got? Did Jesus have a relationship with God? According to the Bible, yes. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rab, can we give you the burden of having to steel man us through this? I will do yes, my let's best. see how much of Christianity I... you've picked up through osmosis. Oh, let me try. I will, oh, I'm excited. I will try my best. It's going to be very, like, I am going, Chris, please forgive my total mangling of Trinitarian document, uh, like, uh, descriptions. It's all good, man. Um, but I will, do, I will do my best. All right, so all right, the Bob, test yes. is you, you go as long as you can until you say something right. so so disagreable that we have to stop heretical. you, and, and that yes, will be the end so of the heretical. game. Fair enough. Go. So, so yes, once I hit too much heresy, three persons and one God, each person can have a relationship with the other persons. Bob, go. 
Did you say anything? I just did. Three persons, one God. Each person can have a relationship with the other persons of the one God. That's oh, oh, did absurd. I just get a strike? Damn it. No, absurd. That's not my, nope, no, that you're good. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, All right. That, that was just, I thought that was next. <laughs> Sorry. No, this is the good good points for rap. Got it. Okay. Ab fine. Absurdity. That's what that is. Absurdity. Okay. Well, which part do you disagree with? The relationships amongst pe persons? Persons can't have relationships with each other. I guess that might be it. Or do you think persons can have relationships amongst each other? I ask you, did Jesus have a relationship with God? Those are Jesus, God, Jesus, the Father. Huh? So wait, when you say God, when you say God, do you mean the Father, or do you mean the God, the one that's the the Trinitarian version of the three persons in one God? Because it's the Jesus having a relationship with the Father. The I Father has a relationship with the ghost. The ghost has a relationship with Jesus. So what, they have three persons and multiple relationships. I think we could do what, like a little factorial thing there. What ghost? I think it's like six. Holy Ghost. What? Holy huh? Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Oh, that's his that's father. the third part of the... It is. Well, so it's three persons, one God, yes. Oh, no, the that's Holy the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the Father of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. My you did a course. great rap, by the way. Yeah, Rev is doing awesome. <laughs> Keep going, Rev. I picked up. I picked up a lot. <laughs> you must. You must have persons. missed. You must have missed oh. what Gabriel said. I did. I totally did. What Gabriel <laughs> said. Oh, did I unmute? Sorry. <laughs> Gabriel. I totally missed Gabriel, what Gabriel said. Yeah, Gabriel. Gabriel got a message from God one day. That he was, he had to go to Earth and talk. Gabriel, to take a message. Yeah, yeah. Gabriel, right. Gabriel took that message from God. From God, from one of the persons, of, from one of the persons of God. Got it. Okay, and no, the only, no. the only, the only person that is God. That's who he got well, it the, from. Well, the, well, okay. So, like, basically, it sounds, Bob, like you're just disagreeing with Trinitarian. Theology. So, are you just saying you just don't understand or comprehend this Trinitarian theology stuff? Because if that's the case, that's a totally different question than if Jesus had a relationship with God or the Father. This is well, a statement of I don't believe the Trinity. If you're just saying the Trinity is illogical, we'd have a totally different conversation. So, but, is that what you're actually trying to get to? Yeah, God told me it is illogical. All right. How did God tell you this? All right. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm interested. Like, what was the way you perceived this information? The way you perceive information from me? Like, I, you just heard it in your ears? Like, you know, over earbuds? Was it Bluetooth? No, it, it's, it's more, I heard it in my heart. Wait, your heart has ears? Oh, yeah. It's got, you, see, you should see a doctor about that. Has no. this run its course? Bob, yes, do you have so. actual questions, or are you just going to kind of... I want to know. I want to know how you figured that God's Holy Spirit is two people. Three. Uh, Three. In the back channel role just pointed out that Bob is currently being <laughs> defeated on Christian theology by an atheist. So I think we should all enjoy that <laughs> observation. Yeah, if if a if an atheist could do that, you should enjoy it. He, he's it's doing it right now, Bob. Well, I'm not reading well, back. Let, let me ask you a quick question. Now, Chris, are if you sure? There's a, 
Yeah, this is a good question. I want to see where we land on this. If there's a bear out in the forest, and he comes across a stash of cocaine, is that bear now one bear or two bears? Can't bear this conversation. (laughs) Bob, bear your heart to us. Uh, Bob, a bear with drugs is the topic on the table. Go. He's barely listening. <laughs> I, 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 Bob, actually, Bob, what would it what would it take for you to think the Trinity was true? Is there a scenario in which you some knowledge you could come in or something you could re- that would make you rethink it, or are you just like one hundred percent certain and movable on the topic? Wait, before that, I had one more. Reb, he's stumped. Who, oh, who got stumped? Get it? Stumped. Bob, this, this conversation may be, uh, may be about at an end, but I would like to say, uh, to see, based on our last conversation, um, you know, I don't know if the gremlins in your head have told you, you know, whatever, but um, I, I want to ask. I want to come down remember and see whenever, alligators. I want to see remember, your alligators, Nate. Okay, I'll take a picture when they show up on PTR. No, um, I want to come walk in the yard and let you show me the alligators. I don't want you anywhere near my house. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a snake in the grass. He's had previous um, experiences with cocaine bears, and I don't think he wants to repeat Oh, I heard they're making a new movie uh, based on the success of uh, like Cocaine Bear and, and some other movie. Um, in Sharknado, like they're coming out with a uh, uh, meth gator, return of the <laughs> strike of a meth gator. <laughs> yes. Okay. Anyways, Bob, uh, once when we said, you know, we were going around the room and said, Christians, you know, like what you, you've got like a minute to tell someone like the ultimate message of Christianity that you want them to know. And then remember when we were like, Bob, what, what's the one thing you would want them to know? Um, not to lead you, but um, so, you know, you've got one more minute, um, you know, so what would you want uh, people to know about Christianity and why they should, you know, follow God or tell them about anything you think they should know to make them cool with God. Like, what, what, like you don't have time to give them the whole doctrine. Like, what, what's the most basic essentials you would tell someone who's like, I don't know anything about Christianity. What must I do to be saved? If you don't know anything about Christianity, what must you do to be saved? Do not listen to people like Nate and others that believe God is a trinity because they will lead you down a path that you may not get out of. And then when they respond by saying, I don't know who Nate is, but you've told me what I shouldn't do. Were you going to tell me what I should do? Oh, it's too late. I'm dying. I'm going to hell. Thanks, Bob. Ah, you didn't tell me what I should do. Well, well, it's too opportunity. Just remember, in the lake of fire, you will be tormented day and night forever and ever, just as eternally tormented as I will be blessed with uh, Jesus. No, Bob. But what do I do, Bob? <laughs> what do we do? Well, I, I was just going to ask Rob, Rob Scuttle, if you were 50-50 right now, Rob Scuttle, on which way you would go, and you heard this argument from Bob, how would it end? Away from Bob. This would be like a totally pro-Nate. I like, I join Nate's religion. I'm a follower of Nate. I'm a natalist. Oh, oh wait. On the one hand, I want to give you robes. <laughs> on the other one hand, I just want to say, you know, follow God, not me. Yes. <laughs> my, my, my last five seconds are, hear this. Be holy, for I am holy. 
saith the Lord. What does like, that mean? He's not even close. None of He doesn't that know what holy means. What do I do, Bob? The How do I be is holy? The what least is of that? his problem? You you probably should let the Holy Spirit sanctify you. Okay, how do I do that? Submit to God and resist the devil. Now we're getting somewhere. How do I do that? Just believe God and tell the devil where to go. Okay, what do I believe about God? That he's holy. Okay. So if I believe God is holy, then I'm going to be cool with God. Not necessarily. So what do I do? Learn the truth. Seek the Lord while he can be found, and do not harden your heart when you hear the truth. How? Like what they, is the truth, Bob? Like you're doing Tell me today. the truth. You're, not, you're hardening your heart against the truth. I, what is the truth? That is the truth be, words that you can tell me? Yeah, there's going to be what? a judgment, a resurrection, okay. a resurrection okay. of the dead. The dead are going to be raised and judged. Okay. So, and Jesus, and Jesus so, said that you needed to fear God because he can kill and cast into hell. Yes? Okay. I, so if I, if I, hang on, Sierra. So if, if I believe what you just said, and, and I, I believe God that there, uh, Bobby, you got to mute when you're not talking. There's a lot of feedback coming from you. So if I, if I believe God that there will be a resurrection and we should be holy and people will be judged, if I believe that, then I'm cool with God. If you obey God, you will definitely be cool with God and not burning in that place with the devil. Okay, so how do I obey God? Do what? How do I obey God? What does God say? So far, you've told me I need to believe there's a resurrection and people will be judged. So if I believe that, I guess I'm obeying God. So is there anything else I need to do to obey God? Uh, turn your foot away from evil and do okay. good. Okay, so if I don't do bad stuff, and if I just do do good stuff, then now I'm obeying God, and now I'm good with God, right? Well, God has never destroyed a righteous man. Okay. Do you do an altar, so, Bob? So, you... well, well, hang, well, hang on. I, I want this to be me and Bob. Um, so, based on what you said, I guess I would take your word, and then I guess let me put my Christian hat back on because if the person says, you know, God has never destroyed a righteous man and what you just told the guy that knows nothing about Christianity is that if you don't do bad and you do good um, without knowing anything else for the scenario, he would equate that with righteousness and he would think that he is being righteous. So you would have just successfully led someone, in our humble opinion, straight to hell, not even to the gates. You would have like kicked the door open and threw them right in because the Bible talks about there's no one righteous, not even one. And our works apart from Christ are filthy rags. So, you know, the guy that you just led astray wouldn't know that because he knows nothing about religion. That's that's the scenario. So that's um, I mean, it started off funny, but that makes me. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of real and makes me feel like I need to take a shower in holy water. That's that's messed up, man. Well, if you other people chime in, if you read what the prophets that God sent to the people told them, he told the pro the prophet told the people. If the righteous man stops doing righteousness and goes the evil way, I will not remember any of his righteous deeds, and I will judge him as such. But if 
the man turns from his wicked ways and turns to me and does what is right, I will not, I will forgive all of his transgressions, which he has done. I mean, that's, that's biblical. But Bob, you. Real quick. Um, Do you do an altar call at the end of service? And if so, how do do you set up the altar call? Bob, you're not a pastor, are you? No, I'm a preacher. He's a preacher, yeah. Oh, dear. I'm a preacher, and I'm kind of like Paul. Uh, We we didn't do altar calls. Yeah, we can tell that. Charles, anything. But, Uh, yeah. A question I for think, I think Charles Finney. Charles Finney didn't do altar calls. Are you uh, no, question for the group for Chris, Nate, and Steph about this. Is he describing to you? Does it sound more like Judaism or Christianity? And it sounds more like some like kind of perverted of legalism. Yeah, doctrine of demons. There we go. I mean, Bob, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, you know, you seem like a nice enough guy. You're pleasant enough. Um, you know, I mean, we get a little grumpy sometimes, but you're you're pleasant enough. But um, <laughs> you know, when it comes down to it. I mean, we, we definitely have a disagreement, I mean, to say the least, on, on doctrine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, for everyone for everyone who, who listens, um, if, I mean, if you get people that know the Bible, I mean, you know, like we're talking here, of course, you know, we have plenty of arguments for you. And you can just say we disagree. You think we're wrong. We think you're wrong. But, um, yeah, that, that's, that makes me feel a certain way. If there's someone like legitimately that's like, I don't know anything about this. Um, yeah, in my humble opinion, that would be knowledge to just lead them straight to hell and like a not necessarily funny joking way. Yeah, no, that's a little scary. I mean, there, there are oneness guys on this app that I think fully understand and can preach accurately the gospel. One, you are not one of one, them. Like no. you, not only are you oneness, You're right. which is you, you also cannot articulate what the gospel is. Uh, Bob, and that's you terrifying. A, can, can you do me a favor, Bob? It sounds like we're in speakerphone. We hear a feedback and buzz constantly and is, is making me want to do unchristian things. Do you happen to have a headset you could use? I do. That, that would be stay muted when super. You're, yeah, if someone else is talking and you mute it also solves. Uh, All right, I'll yeah. have to get it. But uh, anyway, thank you, Stephanie, for uh, for uh, letting me on the stage today. Uh, but I will get the headset. I appreciate that. Well, hey, I mean, I kept you on the stage. Yeah, anytime, Bob. You can come up here anytime, but I really do pray no, that you... That's not, true. that's not true. Nate won't let me up there just anytime, because I tried to get up there yesterday. That is true. This is why, and it's kind of solidified my um <laughs> my resolve. But yeah, Bob, you really got to get a headset, you know, in those cases, we may let you on the stage. But um, while you're doing that, Herbert, what's up? Uh, Thomas Herbert, how are you? I'm doing all right. How about you, Nate? Uh, do you have any... Uh, resources for how or can you explain to me how uh, ancient physics can relate to God's providential reign ancient I would want a little more than that and by ancient physics you mean like what they understood because I mean you know physics yeah like uh, Aristotle's physics compared to uh, or how how he thought of the natural world in light of um, uh, like Christian dogma that came later. I will tell you, I'm not going to be a big help talking about Aristotle. All right. Well, I don't Does understand the question. You're 
You're asking how the Christian worldview, the Christian refutes Aristotle. Yeah, is that what? Or or rebukes because I don't know. Maybe Christians would see the pagan thinkers as demons or something. When it comes to how you see the natural world, or how you see eschatology, and you know what, this is a great question for AI. Ask ask that question again. Let me see if I can ask AI this. All right. How how does Aristotle's physics relate to God's providence and interaction? No, not interaction and. Intervention. Sorry. Yeah. I want to take a whack okay, for the AI answer. How? I'm oh, sorry. How does Aristotle's physics relate to God's providence and what? Intervention and be specific. The the biblical God or, or like or something like that. Chat GPT is a Christian. We found out. All right. Let's see here. Submit. Okay. Aristotle. Uh, oh, how long is this going to be? Oh, okay. Is it still going? Okay. Aristotle's physics suggests that the universe is governed by the natural laws of cause and effect. The view in, is in harmony with the Christian belief that God is ultimately in control of the universe and that he can intervene and act in a supernatural way when necessary. In theological terms, this is known as divine providence or the idea that God is actively involved in the day-to-day workings of the world, guiding and directing things according to his will. The Christian God is believed to be the ultimate cause of all things, and his power and authority extend beyond the laws of natural cause and effect. Uh, This is seen as actively involved in the world while, at the same time, allowing natural phenomenon to occur according to the laws of nature. This view of God's providence and intervention is a cornerstone of Christian theology as it allows believers to understand the natural world as being under the direct control and omnipotent and omniscient God. There you go. Thank you very much. Did uh, AI answer your Christian question? I, I could not hear the last part. I was kind of dozing off, but I got the first part. I know, it's just boring, right? Just repent and believe the gospel, everyone. It's a lot easier. <laughs> well, here, well, well, here's some additional things you can look into. So Thomas, uh, I forgot his last name. Aquinas? Aquinas. A, yeah, Aquinas. Uh, <laughs> He thought that um, that Aristotle's ideas were very compatible, and he he spoke a lot about that, literally citing Aristotle's physics. So, if you want to study that more, that 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 will get you a deeper answer. Yeah, I've read Aquinas, and if you really want to get put to sleep, that's a great way. What, Chris? You're putting me to sleep. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't leave us. We're just playing. You guys think I can go on and be boring? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I don't know. Audience, are you put to sleep? Would anyone else like to jump up on stage? Yeah. Hey, how how does this sound? Is this better or is it worse? Someone else needs to talk. Yeah, that's better. Now we can hear the well, heresy Bob, in crystal clear HD. I guess the floor is yours, Bob, since no one else wants to ask a question. Well, just don't or, forget, I am Bob the Builder. I am here. Well, and, don't forget uh, what you're building on. I'm building the kingdom of God. Oh, dear. 
Yeah, I would oh, like to ask another thing. Um, yes, please. Thank Jesus. All right. Um, so what would count as detestable to the Lord when it comes to uh, divination, uh, interpreting omens, and uh, witchcraft, and all this other stuff? Um, I can't remember <laughs> the, the commandment. What would count? as that subject matter like that phenomenon lots when, of when, when, when god like uh forbids any sort of witchcraft any sort of divination any sort of um uh what do you call this uh medium yeah. spirit to contact the dead and whatnot yes yeah so, so i mean some people would would take that to the nth degree where i think would be not in the category and they would say like even things that like if you have anything to do with something that says sorcery or, you know, like Hocus Pocus, the kids Halloween show. Like if you see someone shoot a magic little thing across the screen, the big that's sorcery. It's sin. And, you know, I mean, if, if they really believe that, then for them, it is Romans 14. They're following their conscience. But I really think it means that. So like it's it's the intent. So if someone is like doing sorcery or witchcraft for that purposes to like legitimately try to, you know, do whatever the result is, put a hex on someone, communicate with the dead, like anything like that. I, I think that, I mean, that is the definition of the, of the terms. Um, if someone is, is, you know, playing a video game or watching a Harry Potter movie or something like that, then for me, no, I, I don't think that is sorcery or witchcraft because no one's watching this for entertainment value with the intent of legitimately contacting the dead or putting curses or spells on people or something like that. That's, that's my opinion. But again, Romans 14 says, you know, if you don't do something from faith, then for that person, it is sin because they're violating their conscience, which is led by the Holy Spirit. So it wouldn't even be the act that they're of what we're talking about, the sorcery or sorcery or witchcraft or wizards on TV. That is a sin. It's because their conscience is convicting them and they're saying, no, shut up, conscious. I'm, I'm doing this anyway. So that's that's my answer. What do you think, Steph? Uh, yeah, I run from all that stuff. But I am a big Harry Potter fan now that I think of it. Took you a while to unmute. I thought you may have been consulting the dead for your answer. Uh, no, I was uh, shopping on Amazon. Of course. Sorcery. Uh, I mean, internet is sorcery. Um, oh, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, Thomas, that's, is that kind of where you stand on it, or do you think something differently? Uh, no, I don't think I stand on anything differently. I think it's detestable towards uh, the, De the Deuteronomy commandment, where it says um, all forms of witchcraft and sorcery are um, detestable to the Lord, like morally reprehensible. Uh, and can you cite me that Romans passage or Paul? Uh, it's Romans 14, 28. It's like the very end of the chapter. There's a few good verses there. Uh, Vanille, what's up? Are you speaking Vanille? Vanille, you have the coolest name ever. Wait a minute. Is your name really Vanille DeVallon? Here's the funny thing, right? Because people that know me maybe 10 or 15 years before, it would have been Fennel. People that know me after, it would be Vanuel. So both of you guys said it correctly, you know, whatever. But yeah, it is, that's that's the real deal. Holy field name right here. That is the coolest name I've ever heard. I wish I could have one more son just so I could name him Vanuel. <laughs> well, well I, short, short story on that. My dad, you know, um, my mom wanted Daniel, like from the Bible, whatever. And my dad had this thing where he was naming all his kids starting with V's. I just got caught in the mix of all that. 
Oh, nice. Well done. Well done to them. I like it. All right. Now, so just chiming a, in uh, um, yeah. to the conversation I haven't been on Clubhouse in a while, so I'm like, huh, let's go ahead and find a, see if I can listen into some interesting topics and um, kind of chimed in on um, the whole uh, Trinity thing. And I guess when, when Bob was, uh, Bob the Builder uh, was given, I, I don't know if he provided the explanation or why he doesn't exactly believe in a Trinity. Um, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions um, uh, pertaining it, and that's the reason why a lot of people don't don't grasp the idea of the Trinity. You know, they say things like, "Oh, the Trinity is not in the Bible," and I'm like, "Well, you know, it's just a this word. The term Trinity is just a term that describes um, something that's revealed through the text of Scripture. When you look at the Old Testament, you know, and you look at the New Testament, and you see the relationship between the you know, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and and these different passages, you, you draw conclusions, you know, based on the exegesis of, you know, these passages, and you, you give it a label, you know, Trinity, you know, and so on and so forth. So I, I didn't know, um, you know, what the complications are, but he was asking the question, um, uh, does the father uh, have a, son, a relationship with the son? Or is, I, I, I was trying to see how it all connected together, but I had to get off and I came back on a little bit, so... Uh, okay. I guess maybe I'm asking that question. Yeah. Well, uh, I can, yeah, let's, yeah. Nate, Nate. Well, well hey, yeah, there's, well, hang on one second. There, there's no way this is going to happen um, quickly. So before we go down that rat's nest, because that seems to be the topic of the day, uh, there is one more person. I just wanted to see if they have a quick question by any chance uh, before we go down that, because I guarantee uh, okay. this one's going to take a while. Um, so I, Who guy are with, you, uh, Redact? What? We follow each other. I know yeah, you. Yeah, we are... do. You know me. It's Ephraim. Oh, Ephraim, what's up? Nothing much. Just chilling. Just chilling. Why'd you get um, rid of all your uh, everything there? I just felt like, you know, sometimes you got to rebrand. And also, I like to annoy people. So when people are like, how do you pronounce your name? I just like to make them uncomfortable. Brilliant. Just the thing I Love it. Yeah. So did you uh, did you have a short question by any chance? or? Uh... Yeah. Um. So I'm looking for a wife. Um. And um, I, I've been narrowing down things that, um, like red flags or, or statements that don't mean anything, like God-fearing man. I'm looking. Is there anything else I should be, uh, you know, or is there something you could, cons- you know, maybe send in the chat, like, all right, according to the scripture, she should be like this. Like, if you could, like, just direct me, I, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'll actually do that while they're uh, talking about this Trinity thing for the next hour and a half. Um, yeah. So your question is, um, what qualities or characteristics should you be looking for biblically in a wife? Yes. Yes, I will. I will uh, send you that in chat. All right, Bob, go ahead and uh, speak oh, I, to Daniel's uh, question. I want to chime in on this question real, real quick. It's really fast. Um, <laughs> so the other thing I would just share with you is that whatever you may have concerns with in the dating stage, assume that that would continue and amplify in marriage often. So like I would, I would, I would say that as a caution. All right, Bob, go ahead for as long as we can handle this. All right. Thank you, Nate. Uh, If you're looking for a wife, please stay away from the other man's wife. 
Uh, I'm well, just mean, good saying, advice. But wait, good wait, advice, wait. No, I want to hear Bob's advice to Ephraim. Please, please, Nate. I quit. I quit. <laughs> Stay away from another man's wife. No. You're looking for a wife. Don't try to go get one that another man had or has. Uh, unless you're really wanting some extra, you know, whatever. But concerning Jesus' relationship with with God, it's not that it's not that deep, really. If you want to look at it, do you want to look at it, Nate? Uh, Vaniel's the one asking. I, I guess the, the the bigger question is: uh, Do you believe that Jesus is God, or what, what relationship does uh, Jesus have with the Father, in your view? The only kind of relationship a son can have with his father. Do you, do you believe that the, the son was pre-existent before his incarnation? Certainly not. Okay. So, when you have, like in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then you skip down to uh, verse 14, and it was made flesh. Where was he at in the beginning before he became flesh? Where was, where was he? Jesus, Jesus because um, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and we know Jesus was the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was well, I God. Think, I think that's a misconception that some people have. So that's the only way I can explain so that me at a all. One from that passage. All right. A better way to look at things. Oh, well, okay. Um, that's fair. What, what is a better way to look at things is where you see that God made some promises. He made promises to uh, through uh, Moses, and then He made a promise to David. And then when you when you get to Luke, you find where God sends Gabriel to look for a girl that's supposed to marry Joseph, engaged to Joseph. And she gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And about, you know, 40 weeks later, she uh, she gives birth to a baby. And God and the angels <clears throat> are really having a party that night. It kind of spilled over on some shepherds that were pretty close to Bethlehem that night. And, and they got in on the party with the angels. And, and that's when God uh, saw his son and he was breathing and he was laying, lying in a feed trough. Uh, that's how that went down. But what about, what, about that, John 1-1? what about John 1 1? I just kind of went on a rabbit trail a little bit. No disrespect, I'm, I'm just trying to stick to the passage. Like John 1 1. And it began John, with the word. John one one is the rabbit trail. Right. Well, in the be in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So no, a, you, John comes after Luke. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You you get okay. you get you get your wisdom are you trying established. To, are, you trying, are you trying to say that, that the way that the placements of the um, of the books are in chronological order? Is that what you're saying? 
And you yeah, have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's in my Bible. I'm sure it's in Nate's, too. Oh, my. Chronological. And, uh, Vangel, we're also having the same trouble oh, we have. Yeah, with, oh, oh, gosh. Uh, hey, hang on. Vangel, Vangel, we're also having the same trouble we have with Bob. Like, you're, I don't know if you're on speakerphone or what, but we're getting a ton of feedback from you, so it's it's very hard to to listen to you and make me not want to I apologize. Drum I forgot about that. I haven't been on yet in a long time, so, you know, I'm better get used to it. If you have headphones, Jesus would love you for it, and so would we. But but just don't forget, Jesus grew in favor with God and man. And he didn't do any of that until after he was born in Bethlehem. I'm not sure how much more heresy you can put into one. I feel like we, like threw Vaniel to the wolves. Like, welcome to ask a Christian. Go ahead and take on Bob. Well, yeah. remember, this is what happened yesterday when baptized. He's like, no one lets me up, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, because I can tell you how this is going to go. Like, all the regular Christians are just going to get sucked into your world and have the same exact conversation we always have. And then there's going to be, like, a very well-meaning, like, you know, unknowing Christian who hasn't stumbled across you yet. And they're going to, you know, try to, you know, to act like, you know, you're new or you're questioning or, you know, you haven't um, been steeped in heresy for years. And they're going to try to help you through this. And all the rest of us are just going to be like beating our heads against the door. I, I think like that's what's happening again. Um, Vengo, uh, yes, I, you said. <laughs> I, I don't think that I don't think that's the case with me. I I I picked I kind of picked up the the uh, I read the room, and I can I can you know put two and two together and see that this is not the first time a conversation happened. Um, and you know I don't mind being around wolves. You know I eat with them and stuff like that, so I'm good with that. You know I I just try to uh to pick people's brains and see. If when you really process what you're actually believing, does it does it really make any sense in the context of scripture? And, and you know, I try to stick with John one one. I'm probably sure you guys probably had this conversation with you, Bob, um, because you, uh, I, I just would like to hear your interpretation of John one one without you bringing a, a, a plethora of different scriptures and creating this Frankenstein. I, I'm just trying to figure out, like, you know. John one one. What is it talking about that passage? You're you're a preacher, so I'm pretty sure you you know you you get into the word and stuff like that. Just can you just break down John one one? You know, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. You know, with face to face, and um and the and the word was God, and then and that word became flesh. What is that? What is do you that word? Saying that verse is less important. Do you understand he's saying that it's less important? John is less important than the other books. So that is why he is has his comments. Do you understand that's where he uh, where it oh, seems okay. So you're saying that uh that John is less less authoritative? That's what Bob is saying. That is what Bob is saying. He's saying the I other know, three I know, I know. you're explaining what he's saying. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Is he saying that it's not authoritative, it's not inspired? Is that what you're saying, Bob? That John one one is not expired? Or we just misunderstand John one one, and if we misunderstand it, what is the clarify to me what John one one is talking about? That one's for you, Bob. Bob, have you been taken from us? What if Bob got raptured and the rest of us were left behind? What if something else happened, and and Bob should have repented and believed the gospel and ran out of time? Daniel, these are really good questions, and I appreciate I appreciate watching this. You're doing great. Uh, well, Daniel, I mean, unless Bob wants to speak again, I don't know if he's away or something. But um, I mean, if he didn't chime in, I guess we 
whatever can pray for his soul. Um, but I, I, yeah, it sounded like that because he was saying, look, even Nate knows it. He said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, that's the order they come in. But at the point where it's like, well, if, if you don't realize the Bible wasn't put together in chronological order, it's like, you know, Job is one of the oldest books, yet it's not Genesis. Um, so, I mean, just because things aren't put in chronological order, Timothy talks about, you know, all scripture is God breathed and inspired and all of it's useful. So, I mean, it's, it's all on the same level. It's not like because somebody arranged, which is exactly what happened. Somebody arranged certain books in certain orders means one's more authoritative or not. And it doesn't mean Jesus is more authoritative than Paul because it's the Holy Spirit who's recording and, you know, getting all of this stuff in order. So the words of Paul are the words from God that you, that God wants you to hear. So, I mean, you know, there's a couple times where it's like, hey, this isn't from God. This is Paul speaking. But, you know, the whole inspired scripture, it's not like, well, Peter takes precedent over Paul. It's all the words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, so I, I found out what happened to Bob. Basically, the first time he read the Bible in order, he thought that whatever he saw first was most important and everything in the back is less important. So that's how he got to where he is today. That would make yes, sense, did, actually. You didn't figure that out right, because that's not how it worked. But in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it starts off with the baby, and it ends up with a crucifixion and a resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, that, that not that chronological, or, or is it not? Bob, do you realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, I, I guess those, those would be the synoptic gospels, but each each um, individual takes a different approach in dealing with different aspects of the gospel. Do you know there's a distinction between them? It's not like a, a build upon type of deal? Yeah, there's three, four different people there for sure, but they begin with a child. And then they end up with a crucifixion and a resurrection. I mean, it's chronologically there. I mean, it's pregnancy, baby born, baby grows up, baby dies, baby gets resurrected from the dead, and the baby gets to go up to heaven and be with his father. I mean, it's pretty simple to me. Well, I mean, it, it seems like you're providing a, like an oversimplification of what's actually going on, and I, I don't think you, um, what, I, what I find is that majority of Christians, so-called, or I'm not, even, I'm not even associated to say so-called or whatever, majority of, you know, Christians, um, they haven't done any further research than just reading their Bible and understanding, like, the the, how the Bible was, comp uh, you know, the compilation of the, the, the 66 books, how they came together, the historical documents, and, and all these other factors that play a role in your understanding of how to approach the Bible itself and, you know, and understand it. Have you taken any, like, you know, any, like, studied any hermeneutics, like the art and science of biblical interpretation, you know, how to actually approach the Bible? Have you looked into that, or were you just, like, the Lord gave you a revelation, and I'm being honest, the Lord gave you a revelation, and you got the Bible, and that's all you need, and, and you know, and then you just start reading, and then, and you let the Spirit tell you what, what is, are you, have you, I guess what I'm saying is, have you taken advantage of the resources that come from the body of Christ, because, you know, we're one body, we got different offices, so, you know, certain people are specialized in different areas, have you actually tapped into the rest of the body to kind of 
help you understand this text because I, I, it doesn't it doesn't it seems like your approach is like an old fashioned didn't have a lot of you know resources back then type of deal and you know it's just me and my Bible type mentality. It's what it's what I'm kind of getting to feel. Maybe I might be wrong, but I'm I'm really trying to understand like what is your approach to understanding scripture. Oh no, you are absolutely correct. Yeah, your 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 assessment is absolutely correct. It's you know what absolutely correct means, don't you? Doesn't mean right. There's no other alternative but that. That's the absolute truth. Yeah, that's it. You have you have assessed my situation uh, correctly. Do you, uh, you know, okay with that, Bob? Like he just, Vaniel just pointed out that you are studying scripture in the, uh, with absolutely no historical context, no understanding of what it's actually saying. And you're developing your own doctrine in a corner without the influence of anyone who is more learned than you. Uh, you you're cool with that though? Oh, Okay, the one, so since you took the, a moment, the, the one, oh, no, we didn't. the one, the one who teaches me is very well learned. He's learned things ever since he created a man and put him in the garden. I mean, he's the most learned that there is. But Bob, to Daniel's point, why do you think that other Christians study together? Is it because they're dumber than you, or maybe their relationship with God is weaker? Uh. 40, I'm 75 years old. I'll be 76 soon. I mean, really soon in April. But 40 years ago, I found out God could speak English and he spoke to me directly and gave me specific instructions on what to do. And I followed those instructions and uh, I've been following those instructions now for about 40 years. And um, I guess you can and say. And it's evident. I'm, thank you. That's thank yes. you. No, that was well, David. Uh, Bob. But yeah, hang on. Well, hang, hang on. Can I, yeah, Steph, I, I like what you said about getting back to Ephraim. Yeah, I, I kind of zoned out, and I think my life is passing before my eyes. Uh, Bob, I mean, someone else, a uh, very, very prominent person, did that. Um, what was her name? Oh yeah, David Koresh. So you know, uh, be careful. Um, but back to Ephraim. I just wanted That's to true. clear up a couple things. Thomas was uh, asking. You said, "What AI do I use?" It's Chat GPT. So, you know, it's probably pretty, pretty sketchy about any political type thing. But as far as Christianity and what the Bible believes right now, turns out it's pretty theological sound. Um, so also, Ephraim, I did back channel you all that. I tried to put it in chat, but um, uh, Clubhouse is terrible it. and only lets you. I got it. Okay, it only lets you. Well, okay, I also wanted to read just in case anyone else is, I don't know, looking for a wife um, just to kind of catch up. Um, the Bible outlines several qualities. Thank you, AI, to look for in a wife. A good wife should be faithful and devoted to her husband, Proverbs 31, 11, and 12, loving and respectful, Ephesians 5, 33, Colossians 3, 18, and supportive and encouraging, Proverbs 31, 26. She should be trustworthy and honest, Proverbs 31, 11, and have a good work ethic, Proverbs 31, 13 through 27. She should be humble and gentle, Proverbs 31, 30, and seek to honor God in all she does, Colossians 3, 17. Above all, a wife should have a heart for the Lord and seek to serve him and bring glory to his name, 1 Peter 3, 1, and 2. Um, so I think we're cut up to speed. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm, uh, Val and I, or Vangel, I think you may have, I think you got what you were seeking. 
Um, I would really love to change the conversation because we've, Bob, you can't say we haven't given you fair time. Um, so Ephraim, Steph wanted to go back to you. So take it away, Steph. I agree. Well, we were back channeling a little bit and uh, Ephraim, don't worry. It's his thick Florida accent. He, he's got like a problem with pronunciation, but we love him anyway. Uh, Wait, so, you said Ephraim and I said Ephraim, right? You said, you Ephraim. said Ephraim. Oh, did I? It's, it's that I, I, blame, I blame Bob. Okay. <laughs> I meant the right thing. You're fine. <laughs> I assume you're fine. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, I'm not so, fine. <laughs> I think that what, what we were talking about the back channel Ephraim is that you're noticing a, like a, an issue with your, with women in your generation falsely claiming faith and then behaving in a horrific manner. Is that right? Yes. So is your question more about like how to identify and particularly when working for a partner or when like yeah particularly yeah yeah, yeah. I, I just um yeah I guess I was just looking for a uh you know some insight because it's like you know I'm just I'm just going by what I think but if I could hear some other people and what they think you know I'd be open to hearing you guys out maybe using some of what I um, hear from you guys in my decision making. Is anyone here in youth ministry, like dealing with teenagers or young 20s right now? I'm not. It's, uh, I've, got, I've got a good friend who's a youth pastor who, do, who does like the, and it's weird that I'm old enough now to have a friend who's the youth pastor, but okay, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Um, these like people, these kids that are in their late teens and early to mid 20s right now, I mean, I'm 34. These, this generation is dealing with some nonsense that I can't even possibly imagine. Um, one thing that my buddy, who's the youth pastor, talks about, he and his wife talk about a lot, is like, these kids will, for example, smoke weed and come to church, like visibly, uh, you know, high, and then they will defend to the pastor why God thinks it's okay that they come, at, you know, inebriated to church, right, in one manner or another. And this was shocking to me. And he's got stories about this when it comes to like, um, you know, how they dress or just this generation in general, you know, how they dress, how they behave, the things they're watching, the things they're saying. There's no discipline when it comes to guarding what they're consuming, um, like mentally consuming, emotionally consuming or physically consuming. Just they, they're open to all of this. And much like we've seen on the stage today, they twist it uh, in a way that I feel like when I was growing up in the church, for example, I would never have shown up with a short skirt. I would never have shown up with too much makeup on. And I didn't even go to that conservative of a church. But there's just, and I would never have gone in high. Like, just absolutely not. I would be so afraid uh, of my pastor. But also, I would have just understood that that's not what the Bible calls us to do. And Ephraim, I think what you're noticing is that, you know, the generation below me your generation has just completely decided that all of that is out the window. They know better. They're going to smoke weed and wear short skirts and show a bunch of cleavage and walk in the church and act like that's, you know, like God is there to serve them. Uh, so I don't think your observations are off at all. What to do about it? Uh, find a God the, Right. It's not even just the, the youth. There's some moms in our church sometimes where I'm like, seriously, that's, that's your outfit. <laughs> like it's not just this younger. Yeah. And Ephraim in the, in the chat that you and I had, you pointed out that it's coming off to you as self-worship. And I think that's exactly correct. 
it's like that's that's exactly what it is it's some strange like the bible is going to i'm going to twist the bible i'm going to twist the tradition i'm going to twist this faith to fit what i think it is and so if i'm going to wear a super slutty outfit to church i dare someone to confront me on it because i know that god's cool with this i don't know that that's that's the best interpretation i can do of the psychology there we well, actually we do have, have some kind of crazy uh, sorry nate go ahead well, uh, I was going to say we actually have, atheist although he is, a uh, very skilled uh, social worker that could probably offer insight, maybe not from a Christian perspective, but the general evils uh, plugging the younger generation. Is that where you were going to come in? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, sorry to cut you off there. Uh, yeah, so, okay, so I'll, uh, by this, uh, by saying what I'm about to say, I'll be exposing more than I ever have um, uh, of kind of what I do. So my specialty is high-risk male youth, 12 to 17 years of age. So, um, and I agree a lot with something Steph just said in that um, there are there stimuli going on that youth, is dealing, that youth deal with today that no one here on the stage, and I would hazard a guess no one that's, ever, that's even going to listen to this uh, recording later, has any idea what they're going through, none whatsoever. Um, we didn't have the... Uh, social media that we had then, right? I've, th there's times when I've said, like my, my wife and I have been talking before, saying, you know, if if social media, if Facebook uh, existed when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have done half of the crazy stuff I did because then it would have been memorialized forever in video. Um, so I think there's there's some agreement there. And I also partially agree with something that, that she said, although I wouldn't, of course, I wouldn't call it worship. But there is... <sighs> okay, <laughs> as charitably as possible. Um, the, the, the current generation, um, I, I, I'm kind of forced to call them the entitlement generation. And the reason I say that is because there is this unbelievable sense of entitlement that, and again, I wouldn't call it worship, but that there is this, um, that there are things owed to them. And in what, uh, in what Steph's kind of a slant on what Steph said, instead of wanting to conform to societal norms uh, and mores, there is this, there's a sense of entitlement that, that no, I want to do X, Y, or Z. And I'm not particularly concerned that society has, you know, for the memorable past done A, B, and C. And so I think it is, uh, I think it is a, a problem. I don't see the same solutions, obviously, that you guys do. But I, I, th I think there's, there's this odd sense of, a, sense of agreement, and I'm sitting here scratching my head a little bit um, in amazement that we do have, you know, that we can kind of find this, this common ground and, and almost see eye to eye on some of these things. Anyway, morning, everybody. So if you are a young Christian male and you're looking for a young Christian female, what are you to do? That's a really good question. I think that, um, okay, let's kind of put myself in that position for a second. Because I used to be both of those things. Uh, or all three, young Christian and I'm still male. Um, so I believed that, um, I think at the time I believed either listening to what my parents had to say about what an individual, whether they thought they were potentially a good quote unquote fit for me, 
uh, was important or other people that I looked up to. Uh, and some of those people were in the church setting that I was involved with. But now with, uh, with access to social media, I mean, you know, there's things like Christian mingle, right? I mean, there's, there's all these, you know, there's, there's other ways, right? You don't have to rely. You can have, you know, a, a, a good, uh, what I think what even somebody, you know, many people on the stage would consider a good, wholesome uh, Christian relationship with someone that their parents have never even met, that they met online, right? But that share all the same ideals. So um, it's, it's, it's much more multifaceted now than it used to be. Hi, I have a question for those on the stage. Um, you said that the youth of today, uh, they don't want to obey the rules set by society. Now, first of all, this is something that has plagued many, many generations. Every single generation says that about the, the current youth. Uh, but that aside, do you think that the rules that society sets are actually um, good rules? Because if we look back throughout history, society has set all kinds of rules, all kinds of limitations on people. And it's only with the benefit of hindsight that we can say these rules were crazy. I mean, there was a time when it was illegal or, well, it was actually illegal for people of color to be with people who were not of color. I and mean, that's just one example. Homosexuality is another example. I mean, history is littered with examples like that. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it, I'm, I, I would agree a large part. I mean, it depends on the society. It depends on the rules. So, I mean, I mean, you know, to, to this specific time of the spork, um, it was it was about, you know, what should a, a Christian man be looking for in a Christian woman? So, you know, according to these rules, it wouldn't, depending where this conversation goes, it wouldn't even be societal. It would be like biblical. So, you know, it would be like, you know, what the Bible says as far as the rules and things like that. And it was kind of these characteristics and these qualities. So there would be some overlap. You know, I mean, obviously you don't want someone who's a complete psychopath. Um, and that would be a societal rule as well, depending what they do. I mean, there could be illegal actions or something like that. So there would be some overlap. But, you know, the specific trail we were going is, according to the Bible uh, and this Christian faith, what should some of these qualities believe uh, be? But, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would disagree that it would depend on, on the society, like what rules we're talking about and, you know, where it's taking place. Well, not just what rules, but, I mean, it, it seems to be a... Um... I mean, the way I look at it, I think of it as, and I speak from personal experience, I think of it almost as very much as a small town mentality way of thinking. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that, and what I mean by that is that if you are part of the hierarchy and the rules of that small town benefit you, then you will uphold them and, yeah, you're great. But what if those um, rules so don't benefit you? Yeah, then you will want to get out of that small town and go to the big city where you can actually live your life in a more fruitful way. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, depending yeah. what, and I'm Michael's trying to say something too, but I mean, is it really fruitful? Like, you know, I mean, the way you, I'm, I'm sure you would clarify this, but the way you just presented it is, you know, small town, like less thinking, less fruitful, uh, big town, automatically more fruitful. But I mean, clearly um, that can be the case, but it can very easily not, right? Like if you're like a good little country bumpkin that's, you know, just minding your own business, doing decent things for humanity. You go to a big city and, you know, this idea of open-minded turns into a homeless drug addict where you get stabbed, you know, stabbed in the, in the street. Then you would say, well, okay, this has not led to a more fruitful thing. So, I mean, it could be good if you go and get involved in the arts or culture or, you know, like form a small business that scales. I mean, that would be more fruitful. 
um, you could say, by economic standpoint. So, I mean, it, it could be good, but it could also be very, very bad. Um, well, I, I agree. Just to point I mean, that out. But, well, Mike, I, I did cut Michael off. Uh, what were you saying, you know, Michael? I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good, man. You're good. No, I agree. I think the rules, um, when you go for freedom, that freedom does include the freedom to fail. So the small town may provide you with more stability, more it may provide you with that safety net. But are you then essentially resigning yourself to living in a cage, which is a golden cage? But a golden cage is still a, a golden cage, nonetheless. And you decide, you know what, I don't want to live in a cage. I want the freedom. But that freedom may mean that I haven't got anything. You know, I'm going to be homeless. But I'd rather go for that uh, with the chance that I could potentially live in a, in a mansion, which I'd be free in, rather than a small cage, which is determined by somebody else. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, that, it does make sense. It's like, you know, would you trade your walk-on part in a war for a lead role in a cage? Brought to you by the Prophets of Pink Floyd. Oh, oh Pink Floyd, same. wish yeah, you were here. Um, one of my favorite tracks. Yes. Yeah. So I, I totally. My... <laughs> oh, I thank you. <laughs> I'm learning to play that on the piano, by the way. <laughs> All right. Um, Steph, who's Pink Floyd? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, okay, mean to, I didn't mean to distract. Uh, yes, but I, I'm I'm with you. And then you no. know, again, just yeah, go ahead, Michael. Was that you? No, no, it's me. Oh. I I, oh. I grew up with electricity. And uh, and I know you did too, but I, we started out without a telephone. So I remember the first telephones, and I remember the first televisions, and how bad the signal was. I don't think you can relate to that, but I can. And since I've been married fifty-five years, I do know something about marriage that you probably don't. But uh, if you get out of your cage and get into this age, you will have a whole lot more liberty. I would push back. Sure. I would push back on that a little bit. We've we've learned that that age is not an indicator of intelligence or wisdom, um, and Amen. that's just that that's just ev evident in so many people we see. Well, it's not necessarily an indicator of, a, of uh, intelligence or wisdom. However, it does give you the facility and the potential to acquire such wisdom, which youth doesn't necessarily do uh, necessarily. I mean, there are always going to be exceptions. Yeah, there are young people that I, that I speak to on a daily basis that have sadly uh, more diverse and uh, much more lengthy life experience than uh, than I have, and uh, it makes me kind of sit, shake my head, and realize how privileged I am. Oh, and well, the privileged life I've I've led. Yeah, no, but I would I, agree I with that. I, I understand. I understand. What I, you no, I also come across young people, people who are younger than myself, um, who have a lot of wisdom. And the way they come across and, uh, you know, they have wisdom there that I don't see in people of my generation or people who are older. And that I find sad because I think these people are, you know, you've had all these years of experience, all these years of life on this earth. And yet, have you not, have you still not learned things? Well, yeah. And well, what, remember, what are the lessons that we're supposed to be learning? Well, that depends. That's it. That that's subjective. I mean, outside of the kind of the, the social lessons, um, you know, that that keep a functioning society together, that would uh, that would depend. You know, that would be subjective, right? 
because a Christian parent is going to raise their, you know, Christian children, you know, with, you know, with kind of Christian views. Um, and the same can be said for any other faith tradition or none. Um, but going back to something that was said before, there's another little kind of like, you know, sounds kind of cliche, but um, I think I agree with what was said. And, you know, you, you see people who have lived, lived these long lives. And it's like, haven't you learned anything yet? And I'm reminded of something that I read, though I can't remember where I read it. And that is that common sense doesn't seem all that common. It's so rare it should be classified as a superpower. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Common sense is not very common and it should be classified as a superpower. But but see, uh, here's the thing about Christianity, though, is that Christianity has a, a true dichotomy, okay? And in, this, in, in the Christian worldview, this is the true dichotomy. You, all human beings, are slaves. 100% of us are slaves. You are either, and you always will be, you cannot be anything other than a slave. This is what Christianity presents. You are either a slave to sin and death, or you are a slave to Christ and life. Those are the only two options. And so this idea of freedom from this or that or the other thing is false. There is the ultimate freedom is the choice to not sin, whereas someone who is not in Christ has no choice but to sin. So they are ultimately the ones with no choice as a slave. And yet, in Christian Christianity, you are considered both a slave and a son, and you have choices. So really, the only people that are presented with any true choices are going to be within the Christian paradigm. That is the Christian worldview. Well, yeah, yeah, and and your and your um, your dichotomy that you said um, follows logically. However, it only follows logically under either the presumption or demonstration that the Christian paradigm is is the actual is is the actual state of affairs. Of course, and and that is at root what Christianity is. It's a series of truth. Uh, you know, claims. And so this is why when we say, you know, there is only freedom in Christ, that's a truth claim. And that is what we're saying. This is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. Well, yeah. I, and I think that that's probably, I think that's, that's probably fair to say, I don't even think it's that controversial. Um, and you're unfortunately, um, you, not the, you, the royal you, we are, are faced with the same um, faced with the same thing from from other faith traditions as well, right? Because unfortunately, um, truth claims and Christianity are not mutually exclusive. Well, well uh, real quick, since I just wanted to check in with Ephraim, since he was the initial asker of this. Ephraim, are you being helped? I got your name right, by the way. Yes. Uh, by uh, yes. by what you're hearing here, and yes, do you have yes, anything sir. you'd like to you'd like to ask to? Uh, not right now. I'm uh, just uh, listening and working. Okay, well, let, let us know Thank so you. we can uh, tailor our responses to, to you. But go ahead. Thank you. Hey, Nate, uh, nice to see you again. It's been a while. Um, Hello. What are your thoughts on this revival we heard of in that one college? Um, I, you know, I 
only know what I've kind of read through opinions. So, I mean, I haven't watched the sermons. I haven't, um, I really haven't watched a lot of firsthand type stuff. So I, I can't really speak. Uh, everything I've taken in has been opinions. So sometimes it, some opinions I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds reasonable. That sounds fine. Other times people are like, it's totally wrong. And then I, I read why they think it's totally wrong. I'm like, no, you're totally wrong. But then other time I'm like, oh, that could be a cause for concern if that's true. So I really, I really can't speak to it. I generally think it's, it's a neat idea if it gets people in the door, um, you know, as long as it's not like crazy heresy they're, they're preaching or doing. So um, if they say, um, you know, if they're like a lot of people are having problems with, with some of the songs because they're like branched from people who I don't know, like Hillsong or something like that that some people have a problem with. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Um, that's not a huge problem for me. Um, I mean, if, anyway, so, so stuff like that. So honestly, I don't know. But one of the claims was, you know, how can there be a revival when there's no gospel preached? And then um, other people were like, no, no, I was there the very first night. Like they totally preached the gospel. That's what started it. So really, I, I can't give an educated opinion. Well, it's over now. So, I mean, didn't they just kind of relocate it? Wait, well, wait, I thought well, they, they like re relocated yeah, they and I thought and there was like, showed up. oh, I also thought there were other campuses like with yeah. similar type things. Is, is that yeah. is all fizzled out? It's all fizzled out. It's all done. Oh, okay. Put a fork in it. I, I, so I, did see that it I did see that the Jesus from the Chosen is apparently uh, the pastor, the hippie pastor in the Jesus Revolution. And um, now people are accusing him of grave soaking. So, you know, that's fun. Um, whenever I, whenever I saw the, whenever I saw the interview hey. where I got, well, well whenever hey. I got, hang on, whenever I saw the interview that came from the grave soaking claims, um, I would say it, it is problematic and seems a little weird. I don't know if I would necessarily call it grave soaking, um, but yeah, it's somewhere between, you know, not doing it at all and totally doing it. It was, you know, it was about halfway and it was weird and unnecessary. Uh, what well, Chris? Okay, but you know Connie, right? Sweet Connie that comes in here. Yeah, and she was part of that, right? Wait, wait was that, the, was she the pastor was Lonnie like Frisbee's husband or wife? That was her. Okay, husband. okay, I knew it was someone uh, like that. I didn't yeah. know if it was an actual guy. Okay, yeah, that was that guy. The guy that the guy from the Chosen is playing Lonnie Frisbee was Connie's actual husband. Wow, no joke. And she's like very upset about this whole thing because she says the whole thing is fiction. And that, you know, it has no resemblance to reality. And so the G she's very angry at the Jesus Revolution thing. So uh, I she should, was there. So I shouldn't watch you. No, it's crap. What, what's it? So, I mean, yeah, she, it's not true. It, none of it's true. So, like, yeah, so she she is on like she is on the app. You can go talk to her. I mean, she's not very keen about talking about it, but, like, yeah. Like Steph and I were talking about it the other day, is I put my foot in my mouth to Connie, and I was like, "Connie, they're going to portray you in this movie that's coming out. That's cool." And she was like, "Dude, what? It's not cool. You know, <laughs> not cool." And I was like, "Oh, wait, what?" And then I asked Steph about it, and she's like, "Bro, you put your foot in your mouth." And I was like, "Oh," and she's like, "Yeah, she's pretty upset about it." And like they called her and told her what they were going to do, and she's like, "That's not at all what happened." And they're like, "Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just making it up." But they're presenting it as actual history. So the, the producers and the director is lying about it. And it's like this whole thing. Because Lonnie was a horrible, horrible, horrible person if you ever talk to Connie about it. And I won't steal her thunder by telling her story. Can, okay. Can, okay. Can you explain Wait. what... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, I, 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 I'd rather hear Chris, from Chris, no, oh, no, Chris, this is a real simple question because I'm fixing to have to go. 
I wanted to know if you think God has a world view or a uh, world no, Bob, opinion. No, Bob, we're we're on a totally different topic right now. Um, yeah. who, Thanks, Bob. Who world about view. The, Bob, Bob, God is omniscient. Yeah. God doesn't have anything that we can possibly think of. So anyway, Michael, what you were going to say? Uh, I'm I'm both curious and oddly disturbed, or I think I will be disturbed to learn what grave soaking is. Um, well, I can. I'll let the charismatic tell you. <laughs> oh, but, but Go ahead, Chris. You're halfway there. How do you say the first word? Uh, basically, so yeah, the whole grave soaking. Which, by the way, been a Pentecostal charismatic my whole life. I've never heard this term until it was used in in this accusation of grave soaking. Just for the record, Chris, we're all not the same. Okay, so what I've gathered is grave soaking. And it wasn't like explaining like this is what grave soaking is. That came later. Like it was a clip of people doing the grave soaking and like, all right, now we're just going to we're going to like lay on this grave and we're going to like suck the energy from the grave from this person. And we're going to like suck up healing and suck up blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa. So um, that's kind of the idea. Yeah. So in the NAR, Michael, uh, which is the new apostolic reformation, like Kat Kerr and those types. There's this idea of the quote-unquote anointing, and you may have heard them talk about this, that they have the anointing as if it's some special thing, and and it separates them from the rest of everybody. It makes them super Christian as opposed to just Christian, So because they have the anointing. And so um, what they do with grave-sucking is they attempt to take the anointing from a, a nar apostle who has passed away and suck up the anointing that is in that guy's bones from the grave by laying on it. It's okay. like a weird, messed up, like kind of a way of like in the, not really, but sort of like quasi-related, like how, you know, Elijah gave his mantle to Elisha and like the whole thing, like they'll like do kind of like prayer rags and like pray over a rag or something and try to pass that along like they've imparted healing into a rag or something. I mean, it's, it's kind of that idea, but way worse yeah i mean i you know and not to offend anybody that but i mean that's just that's abject nonsense so okay it's not something i need to be overly concerned about it's like it's like uh it's like mormons going around and finding death registries and baptizing dead people as mormons like i look at it as tantamount to that wow i didn't know that either yeah there's i mean again like when if you saw john the baptist now and he's like look repent and believe the gospel You'd probably be thinking, wow, that guy sounds pretty normal compared to all this other stuff. I should just do that. Yeah, it's much more or, or fun not, to I... see cryptids in heaven and have pink hair and talk about, you know, oh man, there's going to be um, 60 foot tall Bigfoots and Elvis is playing concerts and Michael Jackson is making new albums. Yeah, I mean, still, my, my favorite overall is when she said she went to a concert with Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson on the same night. That was my favorite. I mean, it seems totally legit to me. Oh, we had Ahmed, but he took off. I was um, skeptical about how that conversation would have gone. Eh, it probably would have just been like something about Christian dogs or something. We've talked like about the things. Trinity enough today. Yeah, no thanks. You can go find Aldi. Chris would have got some peaceful threats made against him. I enjoy the Muslim threats. That's what I live for. Is that... 
that that sounds yeah that's that sounds oxymoronic peaceful threat yeah <laughs> it's like military intelligence or jumbo shrimp <laughs> Or like, you know, the Bible's totally accurate and we believe all of it except the parts we disagree with. That's corrupted. But we totally believe all of the Bible except the parts that are corrupted. Well, yeah, you know, that, so, the parts we disagree oh, with. That, uh, that, uh, that provoked a little a memory inside my head. So the other day I was having a conversation with someone and I, I, I like to try to because uh, I'm not interested in strawmanning anyone's position. I want to know where they're coming from. I think I've made that evidently true here. So I'm talking to someone who says that they're a Christian. So I'm asking them a couple of questions just to kind of get an idea, right? Because I don't want to say, oh, you know, you, I don't want to say that, you know, you, you believe in the fire and brimstone if they're an annihilationist, right? Et cetera. So I ask them a few questions. And one of the questions I ask is, you know, is, is the Bible the inerrant word of the creator of all things? You know, are, are you a are you a biblical literalist? And yes, 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 the Bible is as written six days, six thousand years, even though it doesn't say that. Um, but whatever. So, so then I said, okay, well then, what about you know what what about this thing? You know, I said, you know, what about uh, Joshua ten, where it says, you know, the sun stood still in in the, in the sky while this battle was being waged. And he said, well, you have to understand the context. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on. Five minutes ago, you said you were a biblical literalist. Yeah. And and so references back to what you just said, Nate, is that we believe the Bible's totally true except the parts we don't agree with. Yes. Um, I was I was just trying to think if it was worth uh, if it was worth making a point on that, but I I decided probably not. I, I was just thinking through it, like, you know, you can you can believe all the Bible, but then yeah, biblical literacy. It reminded me of something um that my myself and uh, Philip, peace be upon him, had a disagreement about. I, I was we were talking about free speech, abs free speech absolutism, and I, I said like, I mean, I nuanced it from the beginning, or I caveated it from the beginning. Um, but he was talking three times more than he was, you know, listening, so maybe it went beyond him. But I'm like, well, no, I, I like the idea of free speech absolutism. He's like, oh, anyways, and uh, I'm like, well, there was be a, there would be a few caveats I would put on that. Like, I like the idea, but there are a few things that would give me pause. So. Even though I would love to say that, there are some things like, you know, and if we parse out like digital media, like speech, you know, even though people will classify like media as part of free speech, I'm like, I would want to say like, you know, with words, like, I think pretty much anything goes like pretty much any words. But then I would say like, you know, there's a difference when it comes to media, the way I would parse it out like that, that's what would give me pause. And then I would also say, you know, of course, like, you know, I, I can, I mean, I don't run my room like a tyrant. But, you know, if people start doing certain things, then I will, I will certainly censor it. Um, but, you know, by free speech, that's in terms of like the government and the government restrictions, um, not what private people do. Anyways, but that reminded me of that. And I guess I did go ahead and speak to it. <laughs> yeah, but and, and that's a that's a, a piece of nuance that a lot of people, when they complain about others curtailing their speech, like, for, for example, if you were to mute someone to put them down to the audience, you know, say, you know, you're inhibiting my free speech. It's like, well, no, you're not. Like I'm not even American, and I understand that. Um, like it's it's you know it's very specifically when the when the government does it. And but it's funny, you know, I I've never been a free speech absolutist, and yet I was I was confronted with an interesting uh, thought the other day. Um, everybody remembers the Oscar slap, right? Will Smith yeah, to, yeah. to Chris Rock, right? 
And there was an interview that Jim Carrey did a couple of days afterwards. Probably most of you have seen it. But if you just Google Jim Carrey, Chris Rock comments, you know, post Oscars, I'm sure it'll come up. Anyway, he, he was talking about how it was just insane to him. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But that it was insane to him that someone would go up and use physical violence for, for another pe- person saying words, regardless of what those words may have been. And this is, and, and so now I'm struggling with this a little bit because everybody remembers the, the old saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, right? But one of the things that I've learned is that words actually do have the capacity to cause harm. Like words, words can hurt. And so now I'm kind of on this fence is like, you know, am I leaning more towards free speech, you know, more towards free speech and that you shouldn't be able to have you know, you, you shouldn't lash out. You should never lash out physically for someone's using words. Or am I leaning more towards, well, yeah, you, you should, you know, had that incident never happened, had Chris Rock never said those things, nothing would have happened. And so this is kind of where I'm f- flipping back and forth a little bit. And it's been an, an interesting kind of game for my brain to play over the last few days. And I'm curious, given given the context of what I just said, do you think free speech is more or less important or we need more or less of it you know for for the foreseeable future i'm, I'm gonna say i mean more more is better uh, and i for the foreseeable future I'm, i would draw a huge distinction between any words like you know i i am not of the school of thought words are violence um the whole six and stone things like the way you were raised um that i mean that's the way i was raised too and i and i would still I mean, as far as I can tell, probably always be that way unless something I'm completely unaware of changes because there's a huge difference in, in things like that physically cause pain or violence or something like that um, versus words. So, you know, someone's like, well, violence is hurting my feelings. No, we're talking about like physicality versus some other metric. So I would say it's a different category. So like if you say words are violence because I feel a certain way or I think a certain way, okay, I, I could be persuaded that that would be some sort of androgynous type of violence, but it's not in the physicality sense. It's a different category. So you, that would be like a category error to say it's exactly the same. So I would say, no, no, if if I say you suck, I don't like you and you punch me, you're the one who is, I mean, at least legally wrong. So like, I, I think that that's the one who would be wrong. So the one who, who initiated it, you know, you could be a crappy human. You could say some things that are definitely not right, not polite. I mean, wrong in that sense. But as far as you know, even the law speaks to this, like that, that's when criminal penalties would be doled out for assault. They'd be like, Did you assault him first? Like, no, I just told him he sucks and he punched me. So, you know, the guy that causes physical harm is the one in the most, uh, you know, jeopardy. And I, I think that's a good way to go. That being said, it doesn't mean completely dismiss words. I mean, you know, deal with, deal with them appropriately, but I don't think appropriately would be like criminal charges or penalties or, you know, canceling or stuff like that. Um, if someone is so harmed by someone's words, then, you know, uh, I, I may direct them to you for counseling. Um, and, uh, you know, in that counseling, it would be in, in maybe a very touchy, feeling, loving way, um, techniques to develop thicker skin or to be like, yes, you, you write these people off, you separate yourself from them. You have nothing more to do with them. I mean, that's kind of in line with Christianity. Like if they don't want to hear what you have to say, don't respond with anger, with violence, with coercion. You just peace out and leave them alone. That way they're not harming you. You're not doing anything to them. You have separated yourselves. So I, I would probably educate something like that. Interesting. 
I appreciate your perspective. And I'm curious to hear what anybody else on stage thinks about what it is I said and whether they take the same slant or slightly different. Anybody? Uh, well, sometimes I get quick to anger and I retaliate with words, but that's something I need to work on. Chris, are you speaking? Would you like to? Otherwise, we have yeah. notorious. Oh. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I just, you know, I'm with you. I don't think words equal violence. I think that, uh, you know, we just, uh, you we know just have to be really careful. Equal violence, how you feel. I'm not sure what you mean, Jose. Well, okay, let's say I said you had a big head, right? And it made you upset and angry. And let's say you went Christian. And what would you do next as a non-Christian? You probably want to punch me or slap me, or just say something back, like or, or you know, or you know, you might go ahead and say that I I smell bad or something. Sure. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like for me, very personally, um, any type of violent act is always the absolute last resort to anything. Um, you know, if I can, uh, I, I had a lawyer once say to me, um, never write down anything you can say and never say anything you can point to. Um, and, and so like as a way to kind of like, you know, minimize, you know, minimize possible repercussions. And so I've kind of taken that and twisted it into the whole, like violence being my last thing. It's like, so if I can, if I can use words to get out of you know, a violent act, I will do that. If I can use an escape to get out of a violent act, I'll use that. Like, basically, you have to put me in a position where I have no alternative. Um, and that's the only time I'm going to I'm going to lash out uh, physically. Yeah, and I, I see that no, no alternative as the legal language for I was in fear for my life. Like short of that, like fear of like, you know, extreme bodily harm or death then there's really no reason for violence or, uh, you know, like force that's reasonable and necessary to defend yourself. So if someone's coming with a hammer and I have to, I don't know, ninja karate kick them, um, then, well, you left me no choice. Like I can't, I, you know, I may not have time to try to, you know, grab a, a social worker and talk you down. Um, you know, if you're chasing me with a hammer, I've just got to make you stop chasing me with a hammer. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if it's, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm firmly of the belief, like whoever does the first physical act of violence is is the the wrong person in that category. Like up until who's wrong because it's not technically right or it's not moral or something like that. I mean, they may be wrong on that level, but that's a different category. So whoever does the first act of physical violence is the real wrong person. And I mean, that says a lot. Like if you have to respond with violence... Like if you have to respond with violence, that's that's very telling about yourself. Like either respond on an intellectual level with words or just remove yourself from the situation. And I mean, like you said, if you have no resort, like if you're not able to do that, like if you're being, I don't, uh, unable to do any of those things. And you, uh, the only alternative is to like defend yourself. But, uh, but again, you wouldn't have to defend yourself with violence because if the person in the scenario is just speaking mean words, then they're not being physically violent. Therefore, I guess just stand there and deal with it. <laughs> yeah, but what you said there was very interesting because there are those who 
who who lack the capacity to to express themselves in in meaningful ways outside of that right i i i incur i encounter this sometimes there you know people who only have two forms of expression silence or rage uh you know like yes. they either say yeah they say nothing or they go thermonuclear right and and they and they miss that whole grayscape in between that black and white um and so it it, it is interesting and, and i think you're right in that it's a shortcoming on that individual's part and you have to dig deeper than that is it, it's a shortcoming on that individual's part and that probably goes back to nurture in in that they weren't taught how to express themselves or they weren't given examples of people who knew how to express themselves my father was silence or rage he grew up in the depression when men just put their head down and did what they had to do and they didn't complain and they just they just did their stuff and I, I, you, know, you can look at everyone in your life and you can put them in kind of two categories. It sounds overly simplistic, but I found it to be pretty useful. They are either um, inspirational or a cautionary tale. Hmm. And so like with my dad, I learned exactly how not to be when it came to that. If that helps to explain. I understand. Uh, I, I do have notorious real quick. Let's see. River is talking in chat. River, I don't know if I don't know if you're trying to um, if you're trying to um, if your goal is based on what I said about free speech um, or if it's about the um, wars and equal violence. But um, <laughs> seems like you're coming in kind of hot and heavy in chat. But um, anyways, no. I mean, I, so I don't know if that just happens to be a coincidence. But I mean, when you talk about you know God has to have a penis because of whatever. Oh, I must, I must have missed the message. But if you're like, well, God must have a penis because of all the procreation, I'd say, I mean, you, you know, you called it yourself. So I, I get that you're trolling. Um, but, you know, as long as it's civil and polite trolling, great. I, I like it, too. It makes me laugh. But um, I'd say, well, you know, on the biblical story, it'd be inaccurate, right? Because we're told that, you know, the, the Holy Spirit in a non-physical way, uh, you know, uh, gets, gets Jesus through Mary um, to be born. And, you know, God, like you said it yourself, created man from a rib. So there was not... Uh, not any procreating in the uh, in the sense like humans do it, um, animal style or not. Uh, but uh, notorious, what's up? You've been up here for a while. Did you have anything to uh, say? Yeah, I had a question. Um, so I was just waiting until you guys wrapped up that topic. Um, it's kind of hard to formulate, so I'll, I'll try to do my best. And uh, I realize that it's a uh, it's a rhetorical question that could be answered a lot of different ways. So, but since it's your room and you pose the question, I'm looking for your take on it. Um, so I guess the short version, um, that I could do would be, when is it okay for Christians to judge? Um, I recently saw a clip of a video between Matt Walsh and, um, some other guy I didn't know who, who seemed like he was a Christian. And the, the other guy who I didn't know was kind of holding him to account for, um, his comments about the trans guy, uh, Dylan Mulvaney, um, Matt Walsh had you know, some harsh descriptions of that guy. And the other Christian guy was basically making the argument that Matt Walsh was hating the sinner instead of hating the sin. Um, and Matt Walsh's position seemed to be, you know, at, at what point is a Christian able to judge, I, I suppose? Um, because... You know, the whole point is to have a standard, 
right? And and if the standard is that there's no standard, it becomes it becomes difficult and hard to navigate. And it seems like there's maybe two two schools of of Christians: those who are, I guess, use the 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 you know the basically let me let me formulate it like this: if if you if one were to create um, the the idea of a soul, right, to separate a man's actions and desires from kind of his true being, this this provides a, an opportunity to then say that anyone is is um, able to receive redemption. But what it also opens the door to is that. Um, you know, we are not our desires. We're this extra special thing. So the, basically what I'm saying is that the same function within Christianity that uh, that allows for the redemption of evil, horrible people also kind of sometimes seems to bleed into um, not necessarily justifying or saying that it's good, their, their evil acts, but um, kind of rug-sweeping it. And so, like, when is it okay for a, a Christian to judge? When does Achilles come from his tent and say, this is the line and you shall not cross. Uh, so biblically speaking, um, which is great because I always love it when the Bible, like black and white gives answers. So no one really needs to interpret. But some of the things about the Bible says about judging is, uh, first of all, judge rightly and, you know, see Bible for what that means. But really it talks about like when you're judging, it says judge those in the body of Christ, like judge those who are professing Christians. And it says, yes, you should judge those people and then judge rightly, like according to the biblical standard, not not your feelings or opinions, like, you know, something trivial. But whatever the Bible says, if, uh, for example, like Paul, we see an example like of fornication, like this dude was hooking up with like his his stepmom or mother-in-law or something like that. So uh, righteous judgment would be like, uh, OK, well, the Bible says, you know, this is very, very wrong. So you need to stop this. Uh, you know, we can't ha you're supposed to be representing the body of Christ and Jesus. So you can't be doing this like gross sin. You need to stop. And the guy didn't stop. So they ended up kicking him out of the church. And they did this, you know, saying, hopefully uh, through, you know, realizing he's being severed from the body of Christ that, you know, he'll eventually come around and come back. But, you know, he was unrepentant and unrefusing to change. So that would be an example of righteous judgment where it lines up completely with the Bible. Um, and then the other thing, the big one, which talks about don't judge those in the world. Don't worry about that. It says God will judge, God will judge those in the world. Uh, you judge those in the church. So that's, I, I think that's a great point. And it's one I, I kind of make a lot. And, you know, it doesn't, it, it would be subjective, right? Because we all people, we all have our opinions. So there's going to be an overlap from what we, even what I think. Like you could probably follow me around in a day and call me out for, you know, judging someone, even though that's not what I'm consciously aware I'm doing. I would have my opinion about something and you'd say, hey, you're not supposed to be judging. And maybe I'll be like, no, I don't think that's judging. Or, oh, you're right. Maybe I should do better. So, I mean, even though we, we know the right things and aspire to do the right things, sometimes through accident or just unawareness, we're, we're going to do the thing we don't think we should do. Um, but, but biblically speaking, that's the standard. So when we judge, it should be for the, those who are professing Christians and part of the professing body of Christ. And we should judge rightly according to the biblical standard. And as far as people outside the world, those are gods to judge. All we should do is try to explain, uh, you know, this gospel of Christ to them. And if they want to hear about it, great. If they don't. Just be like, all right, then live your life, do whatever you want. Um, so that that would be the standard. So, can I ask a follow up? Yeah, sure. So, I guess my my follow up would be um, at least one, maybe two parts. Um, 
Oh, okay. So here are the two parts. Do you find I've I've heard it said by Christians and others that Stoicism is as close as you can get to Christianity without, um, you know, the idea of a god or anything really spiritual or religious. How much do you agree with that? And the reason why I bring that up is because you know my my thinking about the question and imagining what my Christian friends would say is that they would reach towards kind of kind of what you did. Um, they would reach towards uh, ideas of, of temperance, uh, justice, and wisdom uh, to, to figure out where that is. And those are three of the four Stoic virtues. Um, so do you, how, how do you feel about the closeness between Stoicism and Christianity? Do you think that it exists? Do you think it's very close? Do you think it's illusory? Do you think that Christians are reaching outside of Christianity when they make appeals to Stoic virtues, or do you think it's all consistent? Or well, I, I think it's I think they they could be on the same playing field, but then Christianity would go another level. So as far as Stoicism, like you know, the big differentiation would be between you know, like Christians believe in like grace and forgiveness and the power, you know, like this personal relationship with a God. Um, so so the motivation uh, may be ultimately different. But I think a lot of the stuff, because you can mix and match this like a McDonald's combo. So you could have Christians who, um, a funny story, I heard someone say that they were only a Christian. They've been in and out of prison. You know, I think they were convicted of murder and like got released on parole. Um, I was talking to the guy. So, and it was in a room like this uh, years ago with um, atheists and Christians. And this one guy, I think he said he was like paroled for murder and he spent just tons of years in prison. And he's like, well, I was in prison. I, I found Jesus. And, oh, this is, this came on the heels of atheists talking about, you know, like, um, you should be free to do whatever. You don't need God to keep you from like murdering people and blah, blah, blah. And this guy piped in. He's like, can I say something? And he just like went on a verbal rampage. He's like, I did this and I, I murdered someone, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I can tell you right now, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, then I would run in the store with the battle axe. I'd just be chopping heads off. He's like, I ain't playing. Like I would just murder people. That's in my heart. And he's like, I found Jesus. And because of that, I turned my life around. So I'm like, okay, atheist, teachable moment. Um, just because you may encourage people that they don't need a religion to be good without God, um, for people like that guy, um, I would encourage him, whether you think it's fairy tales or not, to keep following God. So, um, you know, you could take that and then you could take someone like, you know, what I typically espouse is, look, you, you don't need a religion. You don't need Christianity uh, to do good moral stuff. So if I didn't believe Christianity was real, I mean, I like to think of myself as a pretty decent moral person by secular standards. Um, so, you know, I would I would probably follow a very similar walk of life. Um, even without a belief in Christianity. But because I believe in Christianity, um, I, I go beyond just like, you know, temperance and things like that for natural self-control. I really do there, believe there is a spiritual kind of realm behind this um, that's that's a much, much deeper level. So on its face, and yeah, that's kind of like how, you know, I, I totally believe that, you know, non-Christians can do uh, good moral stuff by secular human standards just for the reasons I talked about. Because like we we know um, intrinsically. I mean, the overwhelming majority of people to ever live come to social contracts, you know, things like murder, theft, stealing, rape, robbery. These are wrong and they're punished for those who do them. Um, I believe that's because we all have this moral compass placed by a creator. Um, that's just my hunch. But I mean, I believe you don't need to claim a deity to do good moral stuff. So in the same way, I think that's how Christianity kind of goes to stoicism. Uh, both can operate on, on a same playing field, but then for Christians, um, it's deeper than that. Another thing, though, that that troubles me when I think about these things um, is, um, and and this gets into politics and all sorts of things. People don't seem to recognize that proximity and degree matter 
right? So, so the the fact that um, and you were kind of talking about or touching on this when you were talking about Christians judging within the church uh, and not so much outside of the church, um, right? That's kind of proximity and degree. Um, but in the hypothetical, you know, just just because there's someone in some I don't know some some country somewhere. Um, some culture that's right regularly practicing clitorectomies, you know, or, or something that, that we find deplorable, um, doesn't mean we have to go take up arms against them or, or do anything about it. But if someone came into your home and, and tried to do that to, you know, a woman in your family, the, the proximity and degree is a lot, you know, greater. So it, it kind of, it, it, I don't want to say it like that it's flippant, but it's very easy to, whether it's the, the, the Christian version or the libertarian version, um, kind of when these things are big and abstract and far away, um, to make appeals to those sorts of things. But when they're immediate, um, it's quite a bit more difficult, which I think is a problem for pretty much everyone. Well, I mean, I wouldn't... I may... If I oh, go ahead. contribute there, Nate. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Nate. Um, I would disagree with a few points. Um, and and uh, Mike's question or statement there has something to do with it in the sense that um, all human beings, regardless of whether you want to or not, you judge, right? You, I'm eating strawberries right now. I, I judge how they taste. I, I judge how sweet they are. And uh, I cannot help but judge those around me. Um, but we are given a standard by which we are to judge, and Jesus very specifically, a lot of people quote Matthew 5, 7, right, where, it's, uh, where Jesus says, uh, judge not lest ye be judged. If you read the very next verse, he says, you know, for whatever uh, measure you use to judge, it will be used upon you. And so if I'm casting judgment upon this tribe for um, this um, bodily mutilation, and I'm doing the same thing, that is an example of not righteous judgment. Um, and so people, th there is a certain sense in which people inside the church are, um, ought to be more sternly rebuked for their behavior, um, because um, to whom much is given, much is required in the sense that they profess Jesus. And, you know, hypocrisy is like one of the main uh, things that Jesus rebukes in the New Testament, and rightfully so. Um, and so I, would, I wouldn't draw so harsh a distinction or at least so, so literal a partition between the world. Uh, and uh, and the, the church uh, of Christ, uh, I think we run into a real practical problem there. It's just judging righteously and uh, not uh, uh, not trying to uh, take the the speck out of out of another's eye when we have a beam in our own. Is it, isn't that interesting as well, though? How how that goes? I I think fairly obviously directly back to Stoicism as well, right? It's the idea that you are in control of to the extent that you have any control, you're in control of yourself. And, and, you know, the Jordan Peterson thing, clean your room, you know, take, take the beam out of your eye. That's, that's the only, the only eye and the only, you know, speck that you have control over is, is yours and the one that's in yours. Right. So I, I, I think it's very interesting how they, how they flow together quite uh, often. I, I think that Stoicism, I mean, you, you might be able to draw a lot of close things, uh, sto like Stoicism wise, especially the. Uh, the Peterson form of it that seems to be quite uh, quite popular among young men today, um, and it's I I don't have any particular scruple um, with that form of behavior. I think the main difference that has to do with Stoicism, 
and with Christianity might be underlying the underlying motif and the underlying justification for that behavior. So as, as a Christian, you know your, your previous life, um, you know the things that you have done, and yet uh, Jesus died for you. It, it's, it's something that um, once acknowledged, not just in, in the head, but really truly understood um, of what was done for you in, um, when you were as, uh, you know, in your deepest, darkest place and you had done so many things you wish you didn't do and that Jesus dies for you, it's a, it's a response. You're, it's a response that I want to now do things for Jesus. I want to uh, help at the homeless shelter. I want to do X and Y. Um, Stoicism, I'm not sure exactly what the justification would be if it would just be simply, I want to better myself. I want to be more self-controlled um, just for its own sake. So I think maybe that's maybe where the main difference is. I would say there was, I mean, it's about internal peace. Um, Diogenes has a great um, quote about his teacher. Um, he's got a weird name. I think it's Antisthenes. But uh, he said, Antisthenes saved my life. He taught me what was mine and what was not mine. And so, like, like one of the problems of, you know, hypocrisy and the beam in the eye versus the splinter and all of that is, is you know, you, you're worrying about things and confronting things that you don't control that aren't yours uh, leads to a lot of turmoil internally, internally and externally. Um, so, like it, it is, it's wise and just and and courageous and and you know, full of temperance to know what is yours and what is not yours, and only seek to to control and change the things that are yours. And uh, one uh, one more biblical thing, and then I'm going to have to, well, let Chris speak and then run. But uh, what I was thinking earlier about judging, one more thing just to back up, was 1 Corinthians 5, 11, and 10, and 11. Uh, this this kind of, I mean, we're past that point now, but uh, it's just been bugging me, so I found it. I may as well share it. And it, it's when uh, talking about judging rightly and who to judge and when to judge. Anyways, so it's talking about, uh, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral, immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindles, swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the planet. Um, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone basically like that who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ. Anyway, just one more one more topic about the uh, how Christians should judge people. So um, one, one more evidence like, you know, not even not talking about like the people in this world. Like, and, and you know, you can't like not be around them. You'd have to leave Earth. Um, anyways. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to finish say, this up. At the end of the day, Christianity is is a bunch of truth claims, and you know, portions of God's communicable attributes of temperance and you know, patience, etc., can can be found in other pagan religions. It's not to say that they can't. Um, this is a a common uh, discussion I have with a lot of atheists. Um, however. The truth claim of Christianity is not how do we live a better life now? That's not what's at stake. That's part of it, but that's not what's at stake. What's at stake is what is your eternal destination? What is ultimate truth outside of the epistemological prison that all, all of us share, um, you know, as prisoner of the five senses? And so what we're talking about, why is Stoicism useless Stoicism is utterly useless in 10,000 years. 
Like no one who's on the planet now is going to have any use for stoicism in 10,000 years because everyone will be dead and they will be in eternity and having to deal with that reality. Yeah, but that's... And so it's, a, it's cr- that best cr- cr- Christians do this thing where they they have a very difficult time separating the claim from the evidence. So they will make a claim quite often and then offer as evidence for that claim yet another claim, which, which is what you, you've just done. So, you know, to say like, how do you know that Jesus is, is God? Let's say, um, a Christian will say, well, well, because he was resurrected and, and that's part of the claim that is not evidence for the claim. Right, but I so, give you so, so to say that of the resurrection of Christ, that is evidence, you know, it's just that you have to get there. You know, I, I'm just saying the evidence we have is that Jesus raised from the dead. We can deal with that evidence. That's not just, that's not just heaping one claim on top of the other. That's not what I'm doing. Well, in a, in a spirit of solidarity, I think that um, people who are, are exercising um, at least a few of the aspects of the logos, right? The, the, the reason, um, both the, the reason for a thing to be, um, like a chair is a, is a chair because of its reason for existence, right? And then... The other meaning of logos, the uh, the you know reason, as in rationalization and 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 good thought that that um, is not full of non sequiturs, um, and people who are using the third version where it's you know words rather than beating people over the head with sticks. Uh, I think Stoics tend to do those three, and they don't do the fourth meaning of the word logos. So I, I think that's the difference, and and so. Uh, I guess there's a little bit of, at the very least, a little bit of solidarity there. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I I mean, sure. Like, you know, we have a little bit of solidarity with Buddhists and we have a little bit of solidarity with Hindus and we have a little bit of solidarity with, you know, Shintoists that, that doesn't make any of their truth claims any more or less true. The fact that stoicism shares a few uh, ideas about temperance and patience, um, you know, and, and self-control with Christianity doesn't make stoicism any more true as a truth. Well, I mean, you've been a little bit, I was trying to be, uh, you know, I don't know, conciliatory, um, bringing together and you're, you're kind of being argumentative. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw in the fact that, you know, Christianity reaches outside of Christianity to stoicism for the virtues that it extols. Okay, so so it's not that, that Stoicism is borrowing from Christianity. It's it's quite actually the opposite way around. Okay, well, so that would be... Well, hang on. Well, yeah, well, yeah, and I, well I, that I, it I'm predates... Gonna, well, hang on, hang on, guys, hang on. Uh, unfortunately, I am out of time. I'm going to have to run, but I will just say um, that, you know, you did make a claim, and I love where you're going because it predates. You're just saying that. So, you know, you made a claim, but allow me to make a counterclaim. So, and this kind of gets into what everyone was saying a minute ago about like the golden rule. People would be like, well, the golden rule existed before the Bible. Okay, well, you know, Jesus isn't saying, you know, the way to eternal life is the golden rule. He's saying believe. Like the fact that the golden rule and how to treat people just happens to be in there. Well, sweet. Venn diagram, happy coincidence. So that wasn't Jesus's ultimate point. Like he was inventing some magical thing. But to your point, uh, Notorious, you made the claim and then the counter and the counterclaim that it, where you're going to defend and say it existed a long before or whatever. And I would say, keep in mind, the Christian paradigm is 
there is a God we follow that created everything in existence. So going back to like, you know, how atheists can be good, moral, decent people by secular standards. Why is that? Well, the claim is my claim that a Christian God created them with this intrinsic moral compass. It can't be proven, but that that's the claim. So if you say stoicism existed before the Bible or the writings of Christianity, I would say in, under the Christian paradigm, God who created everyone um, existed before that. So there would be no stoicism without God creating it, therefore God. And all these are just claims and counterclaims, but I would say, you know, at least this count, this claim of the Christian goes back to the dawn of everything in existence. Um, I'll, I'll give you a, a little bit to rebuttal if you want, but then I, I do have to run. Uh, j- go ahead and have the last. No, 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 that's fine. I, I didn't want to make it a contentious thing. Um, so, um, yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, happy you guys are out there exercising the logo. Well, glad to, glad to chat. Uh, so, yeah, stop by any time. I think we'll be here tomorrow, too. It's Friday. Yeah, so assuming my house is not still flooded. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, good chat. Uh, thanks, everyone, for participating, and we'll see you all next time. Take care.